Hey everyone and welcome to Comics and Cinema. I'm your host Alex Klein and today we are talking about the top movies of 2020. Both of the movies that came out in 2020 and the movies that we saw in 2020 along with a couple of stinkers and when I say we I mean me and my brother Stevie. Uh, so hello there. Welcome to the show. Very excited to have you. Hey uh, glad to be back as sort of a uh, co-host guest situation. Yeah, definitely a guest. Greg and Turkington. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And I will say to, to our more uh, discriminating listeners, you'll notice Stevie's voice is probably a little better on this recording. And that is because we are still utilizing Zoom technology to get these recordings done, as opposed to both of us trying to talk into the same mic as we did last year. So I would say uh, we're evolving and growing with every episode. So stick with us. It's going to be a fun ride. Uh, so Stevie wanted to start out first by talking about 2020 as a whole. Um, and uh, I'm sure you would agree 2020 was kind of a dumpster fire for everybody. There was a lot of stuff that happened, a lot of terrible things that happened. And uh, obviously some of them more terrible than others. But on this show, we are going to be focusing on one specific thing, which is movies. And uh, 2020 saw the closure of a lot of movie theaters the postponement of a lot of movies, a lot of streaming services popping up and, and more movies going on to streaming services. And I know we probably talked about it earlier in the year, but I wanted to get your thoughts on that first of just, you know, what, what happened in 2020? What, how are you feeling with all that? Well, obviously we know what happened. It's, it's referred to as the novel coronavirus. Mm, of course. Uh, so we lost obviously theaters. That was a huge hit to me. It, you know, as far as lifestyle changes, like I've been working from home, you've been working from home. That's been relatively okay for us. But for me, one of the biggest lifestyle changes has been losing the movie theater because, you know, we would go pretty much every week. Oh, yeah. Um, but <clears throat> I'm okay with watching stuff on streaming. It's been interesting to see, you know, most recently with uh, Disney and HBO releasing uh, soul and wonder woman respectively straight to streaming i think that that's a cool thing to do in terms of access um, looking forward is what i'm more concerned about is you know what impact 2020 is going to have on the theaters once we're all back out in public mm -hmm. and if i were able to have any say in it i would say that i think it's taught people that or hopefully it's taught the studios that you know they can release things to streaming and I think that's a, I mean, I, I'm always in favor of more people being able to watch the movies. That's a big uh, discussion point that comes up with critics because they'll be like, oh, you need to see it in theaters. And it's like, well, it only screens in New York and LA. And obviously when that's the case, I would prefer it if those movies are able to go to streaming quickly because, you know, there's still movies this year that I didn't get to see like Nomadland. I don't yep. know when that's going to come up anywhere. And uh, One Night in Miami too. Yeah, so I, it's... It's been a strange year for sure, and I'm nervous to see where things go. I hope, you know, movie theaters aren't phased out of existence because I still think that's the best way to see a movie if you can. Mm -hmm. And I hope that the studios recognize that and are willing to at least say, like, I was hoping, you know, with Netflix, I don't remember exactly how they did the Irishman aroma, but I think a good way to do it would be, you know, at the very least, put it in theaters for like a week or two, whether that's widespread or not. And then as soon as that, is done then put it straight on streaming 
Yeah, that's a that's a good point. That actually brings up a couple of things, and I'll, I'll I'll rattle them off, and you can you know say if you've heard them or not. But I know some of the changes that were enacted last year was, uh, excuse me, uh, contracts were changed between. Was it? Uh, I think it was Warner Brothers. It might have been uni- It was Universal for sure, and it was a couple of other studios. The agreements that they had with the movie theater was that the movie theater would get exclusive uh, streaming. You guys, you could say, into their theater rights for ninety projection, days. Yeah. yeah, projection rights for ninety days before it can be released onto streaming. And a lot of these places renegotiated it down to. I think the big one was Universal got it to nine, eighteen days, so the movie would play in theaters for eighteen days and then it would be available on streaming. And the reason for that being uh, most movies make most of their money in the first two weeks of, of uh, being in theaters, or I guess 18 days would cover three weekends, but then HBO announced that all of their movies that are coming out or Warner brothers, all of their movies that are coming out next year, 2021, this year uh, are going to be streaming on HBO max for free and in theaters on the same day. And then okay. Disney has been doing something where they're doing this uh, premium. They've been doing two things. They've been doing premium access where you can pay a little extra, get to see the movie right now on Disney plus, or they do like soul where it's just free for use, but they have been saying that they are still going to be releasing movies into theaters as well. Uh, there was some talk about studios buying movie theaters to keep them in business. Uh, which is an interesting concept to think about too. Like if Disney were to buy some movie theaters, just because I use that as an example, most of their movies are blockbuster type movies where people are going to be getting out of the house. But, uh, but yeah, so it seems like a lot of companies are doing different things to try and navigate through this, but I totally agree with you. I think still the best way to see a movie is in theaters, but I've been really enjoying seeing movies on streaming as well, especially because I have a, a pretty good sized TV, but at the same time, it is really nice to just stay in your PJs and get to pick your show time. You don't have to, you know, go at a specific time. You can watch it whenever you want and you can watch it as many times as you want. So, yeah. Well, the one thing I would say, cause I know that I think it makes sense in terms of the 18 day time frame, and maybe it's even another week after that. Cause yeah, diminishing returns after a certain point in theaters. Right. But if you know, the studios are still wanting to recoup their money. I think they're, you could implement some sort of way to charge people to rent it on demand. I mean, they already have that as a rent on demand feature. It's just a matter of how long after it releases in theaters that you can do that. But I will say looking back on the year, I think from my perspective, and maybe I'm wrong numerically, but I feel like, Maybe the one big misstep to me was Disney's release of Mulan, the way they did that. Mm. Because what they put it on Disney Plus, but you had to pay what, like twenty dollars to watch it or something? Uh, but it was, it was yeah, twenty or thirty bucks. Which is that's ridiculous to me. I mean, if I understand like the way they did Soul is like the extreme opposite. You just put it up there for free. Mm-hmm. I think they could find it like a way to bridge that gap, maybe make it like five bucks just to rent it. I mean, yeah. the person is already paying for Disney Plus. They don't want to pay what twenty or thirty dollars to watch one movie. I just that pricing model, I can't see that working. I don't know how they did on that. I'm gonna like look it up right now. Actually, made a lot of money, but um. So and 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 the the I guess I'll I'll I don't want to call it devil's advocate because I actually like Disney, but um, Mulan uh, was one of those ones where, or at least the conversation that they had around it was that. You know, you're you're paying for Disney Plus anyway. You're paying for the streaming service for your stuff, and for most people, you're only paying like six dollars for the streaming service per month. But then I think their reason for charging thirty dollars was because for most people who are subscribing to this, uh, it's like what a uh, uh, 
two parents and what two or three kids and if you go to the movies you're going to be spending way more than thirty dollars to see that movie uh by doing it that way but i and i totally agree with you i i i think 30 is way too much for it i i did not pay for it 30 i had a luckily had a friend who helped me out uh one way or another to watch it and it's on I, again same thing they they're like okay you can pay for it right now which i believe was in it was either late July or, or early August. And then it was available for free the same day of Seoul or no, it was the beginning of December, beginning of December. It was free on, on there. Oh, Mulan um, was. Yeah. Yeah. So now you can watch it on there for free. Uh, Mulan's okay. budget was 200 million. Uh, in spite of that, Mulan has already made a profit of 61 million for Disney just from the $30 fee alone. So when they say a profit of 60. Are they saying it made 261 million? Well, uh, pro- no profit of well, uh, it's got the word profit to be clicked on. Nine million. So this is a September eighteenth. Nine million U.S. Disney Plus subscribers paid for Mulan in its first nine days. So if you just look at it like that, that's nine million times thirty. That's two hundred and seventy million. Yeah. So they wow. made that profit already. And again, that's there's certain it's people that great. wouldn't pay for it, but there Bunch are clearly people in who, my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but you know that that is it's sad to say it, but when you've got a company, whether that's Universal or HBO, like they need they want to keep putting out content, but if they've got these big budget movies, they need to recoup their costs somehow. And they did they did release it uh internationally. So the movie did did premiere in China and all these other right. places as well. So I again I, I don't agree with it. It's fine that they're doing it, it's their prerogative, but I would much rather I just, just pay for free. I know that you will probably snap back at this, but you know it to be true. Search your feelings. Uh, Disney's historically kind of price gouges their movies. No, no, that is not. Where, I don't, well, not, don't, not gouging. I don't disagree with like, that. No, they do. If you they try do. to go buy, I don't think gouging <laughs> is the right term, but like if you try to go buy classic Disney movies, they are always what twenty-five, thirty dollars on yep. Blu-ray. Well, Where's not even classic Marvel. Uh, but yeah, Star and they Wars, sit at those prices forever. forever. I mean, yep. we're talking Snow White movies from the nineteen forties that you know they're still charging us that much for that. It's insane. Yeah. But, and also this is a fun fact for anybody listening who doesn't know this. One of the main reasons uh, copyright law in our country has continued to extend the amount of time given after a person's death, you know, the, the amount of time that copyright is protected, it continues to extend. And the reason, one of the reasons is because of Disney's lobbying, because they want to keep Mickey mouse from falling into the public domain. Interesting. That's a, that's your lawyer hat coming on. Yeah, your law hat. Very nice. Well, yeah, no, and I I do agree with that. They, they. The sad part is, is that they know what they have. They know that people want it. They know that people want to watch it, and so they charge more for it. Which, again, at, looking at it from a corporation perspective, you can't really blame them. But looking at it from like a good citizen perspective, it sucks. But yeah, so then, what? Uh, any thoughts on what you think twenty twenty one is going to hold? I mean, right now, at least here, uh, I think Denver and Aurora just lifted their red ban into the orange so i think movie theaters actually just opened back up again i know you and i both paused our uh, amc stubs a-list passes and have had them paused since what was that probably august and uh that pause stops being in effect in march actually i was looking on the app the other day they will unpause you in march if you don't do it beforehand uh i hope i hope it my my worry is that the theater is open and there's really nothing to go see and i it sounds silly because even last year when the theaters reopened there were things to go and see but 
I was looking at the slate of movies for this year and there's a ton of good ones coming, but they're not coming right now. Like they're coming in a couple right. months. Yeah. I, uh, I would be okay with them unpausing it. I'd like to start seeing movies again in March. I, I mean, I'm talking about it like, Oh, congratulations. The pandemic's over. Obviously it's <laughs> right. not, but I'm okay with sitting in the theater with a mask and, you know, we did that for a couple movies already. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with continuing to do that. But yeah, like you said, there's a lot of big movies that I want to see. And obviously I always prefer to see in theaters. Oh, yeah. I'm thinking of Dune, obviously. Yep. Um, what is it? The French Dispatch. I don't know when that comes out, but uh, yeah, I'd you know, and I see another Wes Anderson in theaters. Yeah. There's a whole, I add my watch list has increased by like 45 as I went through the movies coming out this year. There's a ton of really good movies coming. Yeah, I'm hoping um, we get back to it soon, soon enough. Maybe they could do something, and and who knows? This this be a government thing, but uh, you know, what if they just had uh, some doctors at the front of each movie theater, and as each person comes in, they just get vaccinated right as they come in, and then send <laughs> them so into sad. the. <laughs> that sounds highly irresponsible, <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't know. We'll yeah. see what happens. It's been weird. I, yeah. It's certainly been strange, and I think I think you'll all see that uh, our top 2020 lists of this year certainly reflect that strangeness. Uh, I know for myself, I was uh, there was like movies that I had that were in my top 10 even a month ago that I was like, this doesn't feel right. Like this was this was a totally yeah. fine movie, but it does not deserve to be like in the top 10 of my movies. Like, why did nothing come out? Uh, but you know, I in my list typically my year lists almost get into the hundreds of uh, the new movies that come out during the year that, that you see. I'm at 29 titles is what I'm looking at right now for my, my top. Yeah. I'm at, mine's 28. Yeah. Um, it's so sad. We, historically I have on letterboxd. I do a list. I make a list on there of my top 25 of each year. Mm-hmm. And usually I can make it to 25 movies and maybe hit a couple of sevens. Right. Yeah. Whereas here just for my top 10, I'm, I think I have, I have to have two, two or three sevens in my top ten. Oh wow! Yeah, it's uh, which is like unusual. Very, very unusual. So, uh, and the other thing too that I'm I'm looking at as I go through here, a lot of these movies are streaming movies. I would say, probably, oh, wow, almost probably like eighty percent of these movies are all Netflix, Hulu, and HBO, and. Uh, Wow. Yeah. I'm like, and they're all their, their original movies too, which is, I would say a huge shout out to them that they're making good content. And I appreciate that they're making so much, but guys, you could slow down just a little bit. I feel like there's, you know, something five new things every week that I feel like I need to watch. And, and I just, I don't have the time, but uh, let's, let's get started with this. So what we'll do, do you want to do honorable mentions or do you want to uh, just do a 10? Yeah, so- no, I'd like, to do some honorables because i i mean the way i i told you this earlier that i have a couple documentaries in my top oh 10, sure 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 yeah and uh-huh. i'm gonna leave those in but i prepared a list in case i wasn't gonna have those in so i can do some i have just a couple honorable mentions well then why don't you start with your honorable mentions and i'm gonna jot down what mine would be uh while you're okay. doing that so the first two honorable mentions are movies i've this is my didn't see is that i still want to hopefully can that I imagine would probably be somewhere in this list. Uh, the first is nomad land. Obviously that one's been critically acclaimed and I really like that director and interested to see what that is about. Mm-hmm. And then the other is I'm thinking of ending things, which is the Charlie Kaufman movie on Netflix. I started it 
and I mean, I started it late at night, which was a mistake because I fell asleep. But it mm. was it was really intriguing, and I can already tell that by the time I finish it, I think it would crack the top ten here. So I do have to go back and see that one, and then um, more specifically on my list here of movies I did see for honorable mentions. The three that I'll mention are um, The Way Back, which is the Ben Affleck movie. Yeah. About a basketball coach struggling with alcoholism, putting his life together. I liked that movie a lot. Surprisingly pretty good, yeah. I liked uh, how it ended. Yeah, it was a, it was a good movie. Uh, I would also say Onward, which is the Disney or mm. Pixar movie. I thought that was pretty good. Again, not top 10 for me, but that was there was some cool animation. It was a nice imaginative movie from them. And then I have to put Underwater in my honorable mentions. Oh, sure. That's going to make your top 10 or not. But um, Case 2's Creature Feature, probably a little bias on my part, but I thought it was pretty solid underwater monster movie. I defer to you as more of the expert. I, uh, I, so I, I say it all the time. Oh, I don't say it all the time. I mean, I know we used to give you a lot of crap about Kristen Stewart and I, I was more of just a singing, singing with the choir, I guess you could say. I, I started off not liking her and that was because of Twilight and I, I, I'll say it. I don't care. I love the Twilight movies. I think they're great and I I love her in them. She just kind of was iffy in them, but the more that I've watched her and the more that I've seen her range, I actually, she's probably one of my favorite uh, actors too. So I, anytime that there's a a case do movie out there, like I I just watched Seberg on Monday and uh, unfortunately that is not a, you know, that actually that wouldn't make it into either list, but uh, I would call it an honorable mention. Like I thought Seberg was fantastic. Uh, and I, 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 I would put underwater in mine as well. So I think Seberg I saw in theaters that, might have been at the beginning of this year. Uh, oh, oh, before things started shutting yes. down. That's good. Um, but yeah, so no, I I love Case Two, and then I would shout out to you. Met you didn't mention it, but I will. Uh, Happiest season on Hulu. Uh, I I think I liked yeah. it a little more than you did. I gave it an eight. Uh, it doesn't hit my top ten, and I'm not putting it in my honorable mentions. But obviously, we're talking about. It. I thought that was fantastic. She did a great job in that as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, she's been she's always firing on all cylinders. So yeah, I enjoyed I enjoyed Underwater as well. Um, were that was that all of your honorables? Yeah, that's all I've got. Okay, I'll uh, I'm gonna hop Underwater off of mine. I will I will say too. I'll include Nomadland as well, just because same thing. Um, and her last name is pronounced Jaw. So Chloe Jaw. Uh, I, I think she's fantastic. She was great in the rider and I'm really looking forward to see what she does with the Eternals, uh, which comes out in November, which who knows, you might really like it. It's got a, uh, it's, it's got a chiseled uh, Kumail Nanjiani in it. So oh, is that why uh, he's so, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. He got ripped for that movie. Uh, so Monster he's, one Kumail. Of, he's one of the, Kumail yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, call him Kaiju Nanjiani. But um, yeah, so I really want to see Nomadland. And then I also really want to see One Night in Miami, which is, uh, what's her name? Um, she won uh, Oscar last year for Supporting Actress from uh, Beale Street. Uh, she was in uh, Regina too. King. Regina King, yes. So that's directed by Regina King. And it's ah. got it's uh, got an all-star cast. I don't know their names right now, but I just know when I, I saw and heard about it, I was like, I got to check this out. Same thing, isn't coming out yet. So my honorable mentions, then I'll just leave them at three. 
Uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which I think you may have uh, in your top that's, 10. That's, yes, very but, high, uh, actually. Yeah, so but that one, we'll not, not as high for me, only because, uh, I don't know, the, I mean, the movie just didn't hit me perfectly, but the concept of the movie was incredible. Like, I loved, and it, it, it was the same type of movie as Fences in my eyes, and I loved that I predicted that, too, because I was like, oh, I wonder if it'll be kind of filmed like Fences, where it's based off of a play, are they going to have it where it's just scenes where you're just watching them talk for a really long time and it's like a play. And it was, and I loved that. I loved seeing their interactions with each other. Ma Rainey was, she was something else. And I, I think part of it was that I was like, Oh wow. She's so there was a, there was a, uh, a cringeness to the film. Uh, and I think all three of us had that of like, come on, Ma, just please just record the song. But then when you heard and, and saw more deeply, you know, her diving into why she was being the way that she was, it was like, wow, like this is really cool. And then the fact, obviously, that it was Chadwick's last movie. Well, so uh, for the reference or for the for the record, I believe I'm verifying. Yeah, both Fences and My Rainey's Black Bottom are August Wilson. Yep. Uh, yeah, they're plays. So. But I like that they're they're I think they're different directors, but at yeah. least they're all of the people who are working on these August Wilson plays are understanding how to film an August Wilson play, because both that and Fences were I would call them must sees. Like even even though it's not on my top ten, I would highly recommend watching that movie just for its uniqueness. Like it was. Yeah, I don't know. Do you want me to just talk about this now or should do I it? Yeah, later. Go for it. Uh, yeah, I. This one, I'll tell you where it's on the list when we get there, but I love this movie. I, I love the, uh, I mean, you're talking about it as a play, which it is, but to me, it fits in a category of movies as like a chamber piece, right? Where the entire movie takes place in a particular environment. Yeah. And almost in real time. And I have such a soft spot for movies like that. The, the best of the best, of course, being 12 Angry Men. Oh, of course. But yeah. this has a lot of that similar feeling of, you know, claustrophobia, especially, you know, these guys are working out in this, this performance room in the basement of the studio. And there's just a lot of tension between the guys in this band, old versus young. And yeah, it's, it's my Rainey's books is undisputably like Chadwick Boseman's movie. Mm -hmm, 100%. And, I mean, what a loss in terms of losing him, but it's just, he's uh, this, I wish he did more movies like this. I know that obviously he was becoming high profile doing, Black Panther and all that, but he's got such a good energy in this movie, and this has got to be one of his best performances. And I think you should get recognized for it with an Oscar. Oh, hundred percent. I totally agree with you, and I think that's probably, honestly, that's probably one of the saddest things about his passing was just learning about how every role that he took had purpose and you know he he only took roles where he knew that he could make a difference or have a good message around it you look at like uh get on up and 42 and black panther and i haven't seen 21 bridges yet but i've been told that while the movie may not be great uh his role is actually good and there's some messages from his role as well so that's probably why he took it and then this is just another one where he it really kind of almost seemed like he was acting out of character where I was like, whoa, this is, he looked a lot skinnier in the movie. I don't know if that was because of his cancer or because of part of the role, but like he really embodied that just awesome trumpet player. And uh, it was trumpet, right? Yeah. He played. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, just, they considered it a horn, but it was okay. Yeah. But still he just, I mean, the way that he was riffing off of everybody and acting the way that he was acting was just, it didn't seem like Chadwick, but at the exact same time, it was like, this is a hundred percent Chadwick. So it is really sad to think that 
like what other roles would he have taken throughout the years in these types of movies? Cause you know that he would have kept making movies like this, where, you know, a strong black presence in the movie and uh, a great message from the movie. So it's a, it's a bummer, but at the same time, we got to cherish what we've got. And I, well, and that's the thing too. He, he seems like a guy with that kind of integrity where once, you know, becoming high profile, he wouldn't just be satisfied doing just Marvel movies or whatever. Like, Oh I yeah. Mean, clearly he's interested. I mean, he did Marshall, not That's too right, long ago. Marshall, yeah. And that was, you know, post um, his first appearance as Black Panther. I think that was in the Civil War movie or whatever. But uh, yeah, you're uh, right. Yeah, I, it's a loss of potential definitely with him because he's a very talented actor or was. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, so the other two, uh, the other two that I've got on here that I, I just put on right now, uh, again, honorable mentions. So these aren't in the top 10, but I've got the devil all the time, uh, which was uh, a Netflix movie with um, Tom Holland and uh, Robert Pattinson. And the reason I put this one on there is I gave the movie a seven. I thought it was good. Uh, it was a little long in the tooth, I guess you could say. There were some parts of it where I was like, okay, like let's get moving. But what I liked uh, so much about it was just how all of everyone's stories connected. I'm a sucker for that type of storytelling where every person's story plot line kind of blends in with each other. And then at the very end, it kind of, you know, hits that climax. And I thought they did a great job with that in that movie. Plus it was awesome seeing Tom Holland in that other role. I've seen him in a couple of other things, obviously onward. And uh, he was in lost city of Z and he's done a fantastic job in everything he's seen, but I do still kind of see him as Spider-Man. So it was nice to see him in a role like this, where I'm sure he was really happy to make this movie too to be able to show that range and i i I loved that so i thought that was a was great and then um the other one is the hunt and the only reason i'm putting the hunt on my Uh, honorable mentions is because that is the last movie that we saw in theaters before lockdown and it honestly was the perfect movie to be the last movie to see i know harry always says he hates that but uh i love it because i feel like a lot of what happens in the hunt sort of kind of happened during the year afterwards of like people getting really mad at the rich and all these like truths coming out throughout the year and all this stuff was it was interesting to see Uh, but the movie i enjoyed i thought it was great um obviously it wasn't a perfect movie and it had it had its hiccups but the like it got a lot of points in my eyes for its creativity and for a strong female lead as well i like the fact that she just absolutely wrecked shop during it when you originally kind of think that she wasn't going to make it out and it turns out that she's you know well you don't ever really find out exactly who she is but there's like hints that she you know was in the military and all that stuff but uh, i thought that movie was really fun yeah i enjoyed that one too it that didn't quite crack my list it probably would have been next for the honorable mentions but yeah i I don't have regrets about that being the last one we saw before lockdown because i enjoyed it it was fun yeah yeah Absolutely. So for, with that, we will dive into our top 10. And so Steve, we'll start with you. What is your number 10 movie of 2020? Number 10 would be, let's see, looking at this list, one of the few that we did see in theaters. This is uh, Invisible Man. The Invisible Man. Very nice. Yeah. Um, what is it? Not Elizabeth Olsen. Elizabeth Moss. Elizabeth Moss. Yeah. Uh, I really liked this movie. A very cool thriller. Not quite a horror movie. I didn't know what to expect based on the fact that it was The Invisible Man, but I really, really like this movie in the way that it sort of turned this classic monster story into a story about, you know, abuse and a stalker. 
And I thought it was a really cool way to modernize the Invisible Man. And then obviously the technology aspect of it was cool too. But yeah, just a very solid, not quite horror thriller that I could definitely recommend. Yeah, totally agree. I'll say that that one's in my list as well, but I'll uh, I'll talk about it right now. I, I think it's interesting. Uh, Lee Winnell, I think is how you say his name, the uh, uh, director of Invisible Man. He was also the director for Insidious Chapter 3. And then uh, he directed Upgrade as well, if you saw that movie with... Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then the other thing is I think they enjoyed him so much in Invisible Man that he will be directing Wolfman, which uh, they've announced as well is... I, I, because of this movie, I think a lot of the universal monster movies that are coming are kind of going to be that turned on the head type of storytelling where it's like... It's about the Invisible Man, but it's not at all the 19, you know, 30s Invisible Man that we saw, which I really like. It's like that modern twist. So I, I think um, I'm excited. Well, for so that. hang on, let me stop you right there. Does that? Are you implying that this movie is part of that Monster Mash universe that uh, they had plans for? It's it isn't. It isn't. So if you remember after, and and this is for our listeners, this is all off of memory. I did follow it because you guys know I am a monster head, but it's been a while. So when the mummy came out uh, or right before the mummy came out, they announced the universal's dark universe. And they had that freaking picture of like, here's all your actors. And it was like, uh johnny depp as the invisible man and javier bardem as frankenstein i think or the you know, phantom of the opera some something like that uh and then obviously the guy who was playing russell crowe as you know hyde and jekyll and hyde and <laughs> okay. um and it was like literally the same type of photo shoot as marvel did for their 10 year anniversary when they had all the actors in there and taking photos i was like what are you guys doing like the the movie hasn't even come out yet and you're calling putting it dark... the cart before the horse yes yeah. and so mummy came out and it did not do good at all it bombed um and i'll, I'll say this i enjoyed seeing that movie in theaters but it was not a good movie uh, I never saw it. I have to say this though: the one thing I remember, and I'll never forget, is that the trailer. Ah! The trailer that used it used the same, the same clip of Tom Cruise screaming twice. Yeah. In the span of I don't know how many seconds, I was just like, "Who let this get by the editing?" Yeah. But just hilarious. <laughs> and so that movie bombed, and they decided they will not be pursuing a dark universe anymore. And so all of those plans got canceled. They got, you know, shut down. All of the movies they were talking about kind of got closed off. And then all of a sudden, uh, this Invisible Man movie came out and did really well. And I think maybe even before that, they were talking about, we are going to be doing a monster universe, but it is not going to be the same universe as that one. So they got to kind of get off scot-free of not having to use Johnny Depp and uh, a couple of the other people as well. And so now they're kind of just doing the same thing that DC is doing, where it's like, we're just making a movie at a time and we're going to try and make this the best movie that it can be. And if it goes yeah. and turns into something great, which again, that's how they should have done it from the beginning. Cause I well, am dying for a creature from the black Lagoon movie. And uh, I'm hoping that this is a pathway towards that. Cause they could even well, do a cool money. Based on the way they did invisible man, you know, where Mummy was this big action blockbuster. Obviously, you're going to spend a lot of money. There's going to be a big budget. And that's why you're going to money if people don't go to see it. But Invisible Man, much more contained, definitely smaller budget. And it's more of this horror thriller that though, people will go see those movies. They don't need any sort of brand recognition. So if they continue on this route of you know making these more contained, smaller budget, 
and more in that horror thriller vein, they're going to make money. Oh, 100%. And I think those movies always make money. That was the thing that I had talked about, obviously not on the podcast because this was before that, but a lot of people were talking about that of like the whole appeal of the Universal Monster movies was that they were contained and very small budgets. I mean, like you look at the Mummy movie from back then and it was just a couple of set pieces where, you know, you've got this mummy that you're dealing with. It's not some giant production and same with invisible man, Dracula, all those movies. And so the reason they were so scary is because of that. Like it was, it was inherent in the way they made it. And so I'm glad to see them kind of going back to those roots. I'm excited to see what they do with the Wolfman. Like they could make a really cool movie about a guy who is uh, same like this, where it's like a terrible kind of guy who during the day, he's a really nice person. And at night he's very abusive or whatever during the full moon. I don't know. I mean, maybe he, could... he accidentally becomes a cannibal. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Who, who does somebody, that be? Somebody tricks him into <laughs> eating human flesh and then he realizes he's got a taste for it. And starts and, turning yeah. Into a wolf. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, so that uh, that's a, a great movie as well. I totally agree. And I, that was one we saw in theaters. Uh, and and yeah, that was a Elizabeth Moss did a great job. And that was just a overall very tense movie. And I'm glad that it ended the way that it did. Like you got your yes, awesome. But uh, it was still to get to that ending. It was it was a, a ride. Um, oh, yeah. And that was OK. That was your number 10. So my my number 10 is run with ah, uh sarah paulson on my list too <laughs> okay excellent yeah and i know we're jumping we're jumping all out of order but no, that's fine um so yeah number 10 for me run uh my wife and i watched that movie again on hulu at home streaming and even at home the whole time i just felt my muscles tense the entire movie and i was so mad these are the those are the movies run and invisible man same thing where you've got just this this idea of somebody and in both of these cases a woman being stuck in a situation that you know we know what she's dealing with but no one else knows what she's dealing with and just that idea of like can someone please just help her like someone please believe her and to find out every revelation that happens in that movie was i mean we were watching it and probably like five minutes into the movie i was like Oh, this is this is what I've like talked about of the the person, you know, giving their kid pretending that their kid is sick. Like I've seen that in the news of of parents, usually mothers being arrested and taken in because their child was uh, one thing or another. Uh, what is Munchausen it? by proxy. Munch- and I was like Munchausen by proxy. Like, finally, I get to from from Yes Man from uh, <laughs> that was the, the name, the name of, of their band. band yeah. Exactly. Like I've been waiting for that to be able to use in the movie. So, no. Uh, Run was terrifying in that regard, and it was a pulse-pounding movie until the very end. Um, it just and e- the again, same thing though. Ending was incredibly satisfying, and it was like the absolute perfect ending for this type of movie. Because obviously, you want in these movies, you want to have the person overcome, that you want to have them be triumphant. But there's certain instances where when someone like Sarah Paulson does what she does to her daughter. Like you can be saved and you can get out of it, but like, you're never going to be the same again. And as much as we want it to be that happy, perfect ending, I like that they didn't kind of give that where, you know, she, and I I won't reveal it exactly, but you know, I I think you might know what I'm talking about where like 
essentially she's not a perfect normal person at the end of it right like she still yeah. you can tell has some issues and and that's how it would be in real life so it was but man the revenge that she gets and the reason the movie is called run and all that oh i just yeah that's a uh, yeah i love i thought that was great um really really tense yeah sarah paulson was perfectly terrifying everything i mean just just super scary and yeah it's it's such a situation where like it's very easy to imagine and experience the helplessness that the daughter is feeling because it's like if you're in that position there's literally nothing you can do right where you've got nobody else and everybody (laughs) just perceives you as handicapped and all this stuff and that one scene probably my favorite was her going to the uh one of my favorites was her going to the pharmacy to get the yeah to have the pharmacist tell her what the pills were and, and, yeah, and really, her mom really always well had something she always had something to say like she always I, I props to sarah paulson because i i loved sarah paulson and i loved her when i first saw her in uh, american horror story and in that movie in that show and in a couple of others like she's a, does a really good job playing this or like a really sweet innocent type person and and I feel like that is who she is, but she has been killing it playing bad guys. She's got I feel a dark like side. everything she's been doing recently is her being bad, and she does such a good job of doing that because you you look at her and see a really nice person, and she's just got that sinisterness of the you know the the white suburban mother that is you know secretly evil. Well, yeah, like throw that. it back to uh, Twelve Years a Slave. That's oh, probably yeah. as despicable a role as you could do. Oh my god. Yeah, she's, uh, uh, really unsettling uh, in that too. Yeah, she's uh, she's one. She's very good at being unsettling. All right, uh, number nine, Stevie. What do you got? So my number nine. I don't. I'm not sure if you've seen this or not, but Horse Girl. Did you see Whoa, that you're number nine. That is my number twenty-five. But I still gave it a set. These are all sevens. She's in the seven wow. bracket. I liked that movie a lot. Yeah, I thought this was a. Justin Breed did a great job. It's. I mean, it was this kind of movie where I was like, I don't know what is it's going on movie. for most of the movie. Yeah. But she displays is very engaging. I don't know how to explain this movie. If you haven't seen it, just go watch it. But It's like what um, she has. You don't really know whether she it's another one of those. You don't really know whether she's crazy or not. She's just kind of like this weird leave at the beginning. And then as she starts to kind of reveal herself to this guy that she's dating we realize that she's okay she's not just this loner girl she's like insane and but by the end it's like stuff happens and i don't even know if it's real or if she's imagining it right. it's just it's one of those i mean kind of in the same vein as what you were just talking about where you're not really sure if this person's crazy or not yeah uh, it's a it's a good sort of and it's I, I certainly don't think it's spoiling it at all because she kind of talks about it throughout the whole movie but it's it's really that idea that of of people who have been abducted who say that they've been abducted by aliens and yeah. they are kind of crazy but it's like are they crazy because they're crazy or did they actually you did something actually happen and you know their mind is messed up and i've never seen that in a movie yet portrayed like this where they weren't they weren't portrayed just as a crazy person, like as a supporting character sort of thing. Like the actual main character is someone where you are questioning the entire time. Like, 
did that actually happen to her? And then even at the end of the movie, it was like, wait a minute, <laughs> what, what just, was that real? What we just saw or are we going crazy now? So no, I, that was a great, that, and that was for us. It was, that was like a random, Oh, this movie's on Netflix. Let's check it out. And it was like, Oh, whoa, this movie's actually really good. Yeah. I enjoyed it a lot. I did probably rewatch it at some point. I mean, yeah. it, it was, this is also a seven for me, but so I have pretty high seven. I oh, can't, this, sure. I don't know. This might be the, uh, the last seven on my top 10. Ooh. And then above this is eights. Okay. Um, and I'm, I'm in the eights right now. My, uh, my number nine, and I don't know if you saw this was uh, color out of space with Nicholas cage. I did. I didn't, uh, weren't a huge fan because, well, I, no, I liked it. I gave it a seven too. Oh, okay. Uh, but I think I considered this a 2019, just seeing it based on the IMDb year, but, I'm throwing that convention out the window. So go Correct. for it. Yes. That's why I have a couple like that. And I think you do too, where I, and I think I'm yeah. going to start doing that starting with this year too, is I feel like if you see a movie, if a movie comes out and you see it this year, it counts as a this year movie, especially if it's a movie that you saw in theaters, because like there's these, there's those movies like we talked about where they, they, they premiere in New York in December and, Technically, that's a 2019 movie, but we didn't get to see it till February of the next year. Like, why? And especially like this, when we only have a couple movies. Like, yeah, that's why I did it. So yeah, it is listed on IMDb as 2019, but it technically didn't really come to theaters or even on. And I I got it on uh, 4K. I didn't see it in theaters until like March. So um, I really liked this movie. I thought, and and the reason I wanted to see it is because I love Mandy. And uh, Nicholas Cage and Mandy was great. And they're like, yeah, this is kind of, you know, he's kind of doing the same thing. I'd saw the trailer. I was like, this looks just right up my alley for being super weird. And it really was. And I loved the, I mean, being in 4k was a bonus, but the colors in this movie were just so vibrant and creepy and the whole premise was creepy. And again, Nicholas Cage is just, he's, he's uh, in a different kind of prime right now where he is doing a really good job at these really crazy roles of him having to act super psycho. And I think he's loving it. Cause he used to do that when he was younger. Kind of, yeah. I, I don't know. It's if like that's a who back to his not, roots. I'm not sure either, but yeah, no, I really liked this movie. I would really recommend it. I think it's available on shutter. Uh, I'm not sure. Again, I got it on yeah, 4K yeah, I, for I 12 it bucks. There. It says on here, you can watch it on Prime Video. You can rent or buy it for $3. Uh, and I would say it's worth it, especially for like a late night type of movie. Like it's it's a, yeah. it's a horror sci-fi and uh, it's based off of, that was the other reason I wanted to watch it was because it's based off of H.P. Uh, Lovecraft. Yep. And, uh, you know, despite who H.P. Lovecraft was as a person, uh, his works are very exciting to me and I, I, I liked seeing that. So that was my number nine. Uh, what is your number eight? So number eight, we are uh, hitting a couple of documentaries here. This is one that you recommended to me, The Social Dilemma. Ooh, nice. You know what, man? I should have probably thrown that in at some point. But yeah, yeah. Social Dilemma. Uh, Let's hear. What do you think? Really cool documentary. This is about basically about um, the proliferation of technology and social media and the impact that it's had on us psychologically, physiologically, uh, really enlightening, I'd say. Uh, there's there's parts of it that are maybe a little hammy. They have sort of a dramatic story, mm-hmm. enactment <laughs> type stuff thrown in. It's kind of, I mean, it's it's kind of funny, but kind of cheesy. But I don't think it detracts from the message at all. Um, 
it's really cool though. And just, I mean, I was telling Alex when I watched it that I was maybe 10 or 15 minutes into the movie and I just picked up my phone and threw it across the room. (laughs) (laughs) But that's like, that's the, uh, that's the feeling you should get when you're watching that. Cause I, I watched that documentary twice in like two days, like Lisa and I watched it. And then the next day that was when mom was out and I was like, mom, we got to watch this. And so we watched it with mom. And uh, I, yeah, I think that's the type of documentary where you, there's a lot of documentaries when you watch them, you're like, afterwards, you're like, wow, that was crazy. Like, what can I do now after now that I've seen that? Cause most documentaries, there's a call to action, but you don't really know what it is or like, you can't really do it. Like I can't go to some other country and help the poor sort of thing. But with this documentary, it's like, Oh, I can do something right now. And so when I was done with that documentary, I turned off the notifications on all of my apps. So the only app, the only app now that I have that actually gives the badge, the little red dot is my email, uh, which I don't get a lot of emails anyway, except from the fans. I get like a million, but those that's for a separate secret email. But uh, yeah, I mean, I turned off everything. I put time limits on some of my apps and I was just like, it, I, it really resonated with me. And I'm just was so sad to see how I think the biggest thing on it was how so many people have associated the 2016 election with the fact that it was they kept saying it was rigged and uh you know hillary clinton blah 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 but then when you watch this you're like well it's not that it was it's not that like russia found random votes and uh like rigged the election it's just all they did was manipulate social media to get people to think a certain way and that is so scary. And well, when, we're seeing that still. I mean, look and at we're seeing most it recently what happened. I mean, that's the result of people who have been, you know, pigeonholed into this train of thought through either algorithmic suggestion, if it's like YouTube or something. But I mean, social media enables you to create this own head, your own headspace and just kind of engineer. You might not realize it's happening as it's happening. That's the power of the, the apps themselves when they use these algorithms to suggest certain things and kind of keep pushing you in different directions. Yeah. And, and that, you end uh, up, you know, storming the Capitol. Yeah, exactly. And and that's why as I totally agreed with you, like watching the vignette pieces of the documentary was it was a little hammy, but it was so funny to see like, okay, it's hammy, but that's what's literally yeah, happening. It's super realistic. People. Like yeah. it was so crazy how it was like literally just a random thing that he gets on his Instagram. And suddenly, you know, two weeks later he's going to a rally and he gets arrested. And it's like, there's a, for a lot of people, that's probably what happened. Nope. Like I'm, I'm sure in Washington, a lot of those people that were there didn't really know why they were there. They just wanted to be there because of all the things they saw on social media and all of this other stuff. And it's just, it's, it's crazy how that's the catches fire sort of thing. Yeah. It's uh, funny and sad at the same time. Incredibly sad actually. But uh, my number eight is the, was the invisible man. So I've got okay. that as my number eight. Really love that movie. Like we said. Uh, so what, what is your number seven? Number seven. I've got another documentary and this Ooh. one. I don't know if you've seen, this is disclosure. Did you see that disclosure. movie? This is a, I think it's a Netflix original documentary. It's about the historical representation of transgender people in Hollywood. Uh, no, I have not seen this. This is a really cool, I mean, I love basically anything that's about, you know, the history of movies is always a fun documentary to me. But yeah, really, I mean, it's a subject that obviously isn't talked about. There's not a whole, I mean, there. you, you realize that there are, a bunch of transgender people working in Hollywood that you probably 
weren't aware of. Maybe not that many actors or actresses that we see, but it's cool. I mean, they go all the way back to like, you know, 20s and incorporate different references and things with cross-dressing. And it was just, it's cool to wow. take that review. And a lot of its movies I've seen, it was like, oh, I never really thought about, you know, what that representation meant or like how that might've affected not just transgender people, but also, you know, the way we perceive them. And it's just, I, I mean, it, it's Hollywood history and it's a subject that I've not seen any sort of documentary about. And I was really wow. impressed with it. I thought it was cool. I'm adding to my watch list. This looks really interesting. And it's got, I, I'm seeing here is Hillary, is Hillary Swank trans? No, she, uh, so, but she prominently, featured in that movie uh boys don't cry have you seen that movie? oh i have not but I, is she portrayed a boy yeah she well she portrays a uh this would be a transgender man okay uh you know female to male transition uh but really really good movie i think she won an oscar for it huh uh yeah she did that's a great movie though and that's okay. i mean that's one of those ones that they talk about is that's like a seminal movie for transgender representation because I mean, it's very much at the forefront. Like that's like the point of the movie. Whereas otherwise it, you know, there's other movies where they might just have a character that cross dresses or something and it might right. be used for comedy and there's, you know, damage that can be caused there. But boys don't cry is a really good one. Hmm. Yeah. Cause I'm looking here at this cast. I see Laverne Cox is on here and I know um, she was in uh, uh, orange is the new black. And so I, I was familiar with her and then also I'm seeing Eddie Redmayne. And so I'm assuming that's probably for uh, the Danish girl, which right. is a, a great movie. Um, I'm trying to think the only other thing that comes to mind is that show. Uh, what's it called? The one on HBO. Um, I could destroy you or I, I may destroy you or something like that. I'm pretty sure that's about a, a transgender person. Um, Not sure. Something like that. But, but the uh, one thing I think interesting. And I, I could be wrong about this, but I'm like 80% sure that, you know, all the talking, you know, classic documentary where you have, you know, you're talking the footage and stuff. I'm pretty sure all the talking head people are transgender people that work in Hollywood. So that was cool. Oh, like, nice. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm definitely, I'm definitely going to check that out. Cause that, I don't know how I missed that disclosure. Okay, cool. Uh, my number seven is birds of prey with uh, uh margot robbie and rosie perez Mar mary elizabeth winstead and journey smollett who i thought it was journey smollett bell but maybe she dropped the bell um i loved birds of prey and uh i think i think we saw that twice in theaters because i know i went and saw that with lisa but then didn't we see that with harry or uh, something like i don't that? remember but i know i saw it with you i don't remember if harry was so maybe we did see i did i definitely then did see it twice so maybe it wasn't with harry he may not have even seen this movie yet but i loved birds of prey that was probably one of my favorite dc movies so far just because i think it embodied that i don't know i feel like we see so many superhero movies and obviously i'm one to talk because i love those superhero movies but i loved that this one was kind of a little bit of a turn on the head sort of thing where obviously it's an all-female cast of uh, hero here anti-heroes i guess you could call them but sure. this, the story is so antithetical of like your typical superhero movie where it's not an end of the world type of situation there's no giant big famous bad guy that they're fighting like ultron or dark side or something like that it's just they're all fighting uh obi-wan kenobi what uh what's his name um 
I don't even have his name listed on here. I've drawn up. What's his name, Stevie? Who? Uh, uh, oh, Ewan McGregor. Ewan McGregor. That's right. Wow. He played an awesome bad guy, and I loved how crazy he was. Uh, but Margot Robbie did such a good job uh, as this was probably her best performance of, as Harley. I know, obviously, all we have to go off of is Suicide Squad, but that's a that's a movie for the trash. If I had my own way. Um, but I thought this was great. I mean, the the cinematography alone was worth seeing this movie. The, the whole bit of her and her breakfast sandwich is like will go down in history as one of my favorite cinematic moments just because it was completely did not need to be in this type of movie. But the fact that it was in here and the fact that it was so good and there are so many other scenes like it in the movie is just like the action scenes had the perfect amount of slow motion and badassery. Uh, it just, I don't know. I love this movie and, um, I know it's streaming on HBO max, but this was one that I did buy in 4k, uh, when it was on sale during black Friday, it was only seven bucks. I could not pass that up. Uh, just because like you said, I mean, these types of movies, I've got to, I got to have my own copy of them. Yeah. So I, like, I think from the perspective of like the story, the plot, I wasn't, I didn't really like this, but Leaving that aside, I thought it looked great. I thought all the yeah. production design was great. It was very colorful. Like you said, you know, the slow-mo stuff was cool. I, I, to me, the one thing that I remember very distinctly was the whole scene of her getting that uh, egg and cheese sandwich. Yeah. Which is like, I mean, it just looked great, but it also was like, that's such a weird scene to put in a movie like this. And, you know, me being, being generally fatigued with superhero movies, the rest of it i was just kind of like yeah okay mm-hmm. but you know seeing i want to see more stuff like that i want to see yeah. like i want to see things in movies that i haven't seen before so if you're going to tell a superhero movie or in this case like you said more of like an anti-hero like it's cool to do things differently like that and i wish it were i wish it were more different if that makes sense i mean obviously there was a lot that they did right but i agree it kind of fell into the same you know typical kind of plot of yep you know, big battle, whatever. Third act but, battle. Yep, we got to protect the kid. That sort of stuff. Uh, totally, Robbie I did, totally agree. did a great job. And mm-hmm. so, did, I mean, from what I can remember, I think most of the actors did a good job. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think I'm, the the true test is going to be uh, this year. Uh, Suicide Squad's coming out. The the Suicide Squad, which is. Uh, It's a new Suicide Squad movie. It's got a couple of the people from the last movie, but everyone else is brand new. I don't know if you've heard about this movie, but it's uh, it's it was written and directed by uh, uh, James Gunn, which is a a huge plus. Margot Robbie is in it as uh, uh, Harley Quinn, but it's got like John Cena is in it as one of the characters and all the and it's James Gunn, though. So, you know that it's going to have it's going to be super quirky and fun. And it's again, it's an antihero movie. So I'm really hoping that they saw the response from this movie because I was not alone. We were not alone in that whole this is such a quirky wild movie. Like we love this. So hopefully they took that feedback and kind of put it into suicide squad along with the feedback they received from the prior suicide squad of all the negative stuff that, you know, people didn't like. And so again, that's one of the ones that it'll be out in theaters and on HBO max. So uh, I'm really, I really like that because I feel like, especially in our situation, Stevie, like we could go see that movie opening night. And if, you know, Todd or cam or whoever doesn't get a chance to go see it, like, Friday night, we could all just watch it on HBO Max. It's like, right. I really like that idea that you've got options. Um, but yeah, that's my number seven. I really loved that movie. Uh, what is your number six? 
Number six um, for me. Oh, that's Run, which we already talked mm, about. Nice. Okay. My number six is His House, which, ah, uh, okay. yeah, that was a completely out of left field movie. I heard nothing about it, not a, not a peep. And I was looking when we watched it too. I think we watched that movie. Um, I'd have to check my rating on the movie, but um, that movie we watched after Halloween, if I remember right. And it, uh, I'm stalling for time as I look to see exactly when we watched it, but it uh, was really good. And it came, it says it came out on Netflix on October 30th. So it technically was meant to be a Halloween movie in Netflix's eyes. Uh, and it totally earned that scary movie title for me. This was a, this was when we, when we talk about, I want a movie that's different and I want a movie that is something that I haven't seen before. I would yeah. categorize this as one of those movies because it deals with uh, kind of that content that I've never kind of seen before in film of a refugee couple who uh, is kind of escaped from South Sudan to come start a new life in an English town. And uh, they bring with them, or is it there? We don't know uh, an evil in, in the house. So it's, it's a kind of the scary haunted house type of movie that is completely different from any haunted house type of movie I've ever seen. And it's very uh, unique in that sense where, yeah, you get your jump scares, but the jump scares are given in a completely different manner than you would typically see. Like some of the stuff that happens in that movie is just so creepy. And it uh, is it uh, Wunmi Musaku, who is the, yeah, from Lovecraft Country, and she's actually in Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice, and it looks like she was in Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Uh, she does such a good job as the wife in that movie, and then I also liked—is it Sope Derisu as the husband? Yeah, they—they they just did such a good job, and I—I I was truly terrified during that movie. Yeah, it's funny because like your typical horror movie, I think they were more invested in like telling a story that had meaning. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, a lot of the scares were better than like traditional horror movies because they weren't yeah. they weren't designed as just like jump scares. You know, they actually had, you know, they would just put these figures there. They didn't do the whole musical cues all the time to scare you. Yes. But, you know, the different makeup of these people that were like ghosts and the way they would just appear was, I mean, it was, I was impressed with the scares in that one. And it was a, it was a cool message because a lot of, a lot of haunted house movies the reason the house is haunted is because of some ancient demon or some curse on the house. But this movie really played off of the idea that it's very possible that these scares were only because of them fleeing South Sudan of like, this was the baggage that they were carrying with them of being an immigrant in a different country. So it was like, there was actual meaning behind the scares versus them just being scares for scares sake. Like it was like, it's terrifying to flee a country and go try to start over in another country and try to assimilate to that culture is, is really, really hard. And so a lot of it was, you know, is this stress related that they're dealing with this sort of stuff. So it, yeah, it was just, yeah, that was an unexpected great movie. Cause I was, I'd heard nothing about it before we saw it yeah it was it was good i like that one what's your number five uh number five for me would be soul Ooh, we're getting very uh close in numbers here uh okay let's talk about soul so soul as everyone 
I'm sure knows already is the newest Pixar movie. This is about a uh, music teacher who suddenly dies right before his big break. He's about to perform in a jazz club. And then instead of going to the escapes and kind of has to navigate through this ethereal space where he encounters another soul who's body and, you know, hijinks ensue, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but it's really good for a lot of reasons. I think the musical aspect of it was incredible. I love the jazz. Mm-hmm. I'm a huge fan of jazz and they, I think they got the music right. Um, I think Disney and Pixar has frequently been in trouble for not, you know, using or telling minority stories. And here you have a movie that's very much got a lot of and I think pretty good representation. I'm maybe not the best person to decide that, but uh, I think they did that right. The one thing that I didn't, I mean, obviously this movie compares to Inside Out, where Inside Out created this imaginative space to represent the yeah. mind. And here it's a similar thing to represent, you know, your soul and who you are and life and death kind of thing. And Comparing the two movies, I don't think this one hit that inside-out mark. It wasn't as I didn't find it as emotional, or I didn't find myself as emotional watching it. But I also don't think this one was as accessible to kids. Where Inside Out explores that same territory, all these heady concepts, but it's also really funny and colorful. And I don't think this one did that as well. Like, I feel like if I was a little kid watching this movie, I'd, there's not a whole lot to laugh at or have mm-hmm. fun with. Where Inside Out had that, even though, you know, as an adult watching that, you're just going to be sobbing probably. Yeah. Well, and you but know, it was Pete, good. Pete Doctor, the uh, the director. Yeah, of the it's movie, the same director. Same right? guy who did Inside Out. Yeah, but he also did yeah. Up and Monsters, Inc. And he wrote uh, Wally. But um, I totally agree with you. And I, I, for obviously, I have a whole podcast episode on the Soul movie, so I'm not going to dive too deep into it. But I, I totally agree with you. And I think I, what, one of the things I touched on was this is a movie for adults. But I think what it is, is, you know, Pixar has been around since 1998-ish when they came out with Toy Story. And so a lot of their fans are adults now. So in a sense, they are still making these films for their fans. But like this is kind of a message to those fans who have been with them for a long time and who have loved Disney movies that have been, you know, growing up with Pixar, that sort of thing. But yeah, the concepts, I think were a little different than Inside Out in that I remember crying a lot more in Inside Out than I did in Soul. But I think that's because when you're watching Inside Out, you're like, oh my God, yes, this is like, that's it. That's what anger is like. Oh my God, I feel that way. Whereas with soul, you're actually having to question yourself and you're like, am I like making the most of my life or, you know, am I kind of in the zone sort of thing? So I think it, it requires a lot more introspection in soul than it does in inside out because we're a lot more yeah. honest with ourselves on our emotions than we are. But well, if like, I'm a kid, if I'm a kid watching that, like not probably not going to engage at that level at all exactly yeah that's very they're very heady concepts that an adult would be going you know what am i doing with my life whereas a kid's like i don't care what i'm doing with my life right now uh but that's great that's awesome i'm really glad you liked it uh and we're now we're going into the nines now for me so uh my number five is palm springs with uh andy Mm -hmm. samberg and Kristen milati 
uh, or Miliotti. And uh, I really, really like this movie. Again, this was a, and I think the reason I rated this movie so high, I haven't seen it since it came out. I think it warrants a nine, but um, again, I had no idea what this movie was about when I started watching it. And I am a sucker for these types of movies as well. The uh, groundhog day going back in time type of movie. Uh, but I've seen so many that I only appreciate now the ones where there's a little something different. And I think this one kind of had that where he doesn't care about anything now because of so many, how many times he's gone back to that same day and woken up. And uh, I, I don't want to talk too much about it because I, I think I did do an episode on it, but also uh, it's a great movie to watch without knowing a lot about it. And, uh, but it was great. I really, really enjoyed this movie. This was like a late night watch, uh, with my wife and we both were just like, holy cow, this movie is so, so crazy. So trippy. It was really, really fun. Yeah. And so this works out perfectly because it's actually my number four. No, that's great. Cause soul is my number four. Anyway. But yeah, I, same thing. I really thought this was a cool twist on that classic formula. Uh, it was, you know, Andy Samberg, I think, perfectly inhabited this role. You know, he wasn't mm-hmm. as goofy as he usually is. You know, he's kind of playing that Bill Murray detached ennui type of character. Yeah. And I think he did a good job with it. Kristen Milioti is fantastic. She needs to be in more movies. I feel oh, like the only, other thing I've, the only other thing I've seen her in, she played Teresa in Wolf of Wall Street. That's right. She's great in that, too. So let's get her some work Folks, hey, she Hollywood, was in i i would highly recommend if you haven't seen it yet stevie uh death to 20 death to 2020 is a new documentary on netflix and she's in it she plays a what do they call her it's like in quotes uh normal soccer mom and she is essentially playing the stereotype of a soccer mom who is you know middle upper middle class suburban mother who is a racist and a closeted racist and she does an absolutely perfect job of acting like a karen and uh oh oh was she oh was she doing the impression of that lady from new jersey or whatever no no it's like a she's oh man some of the stuff i don't remember exactly what she would say but she's like just you know the way that people act racist without being racist yeah. in that sort of she just oh she did such a good job of well, like she uh i saw her earlier this year call into office hours that tim heidecker oh nice podcast and one of the things she did while she was on there was like her version of that like this like lady who did some video yelling about trump or something in her car some lady with like a thick new jersey accent you know that there what could have been she did show there were some she was like you know i she starts off her first interview is talking about how she kind of became a viral sensation and they like play like three different film camera or like phone filmed videos of her doing Karen shit. And that was probably it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it was so funny. It was so good. Like that, that uh, documentary was really funny. Um, so yeah. And I, the same thing, even seeing her on that though, I was like, man, we need to get her in more stuff. Like she's, yeah. she does a really good job of playing a, and especially in this movie of playing a serious role while also being very snarky. And I really liked what she put out in Palm Springs. Um, so that's that's again funny you mention it so my number five was palm, Sp- palm springs yours was soul my number four is soul and your number four is palm springs so we're going to skip right down to number three number three we've already talked about would be my rainy's black bottom wow that, that high. so for me this like ma rainy's palm springs soul run 
one and those two documentaries, those are all eights for me. But okay. this I think was my favorite of that bunch because I just, you know, again, the, the chamber piece aspect of it was so cool. It just, my only complaint with this movie is, and it's super minor, but I wish it were filmed on film. It just, it looked a little too crisp. Talking about for Ma a movie like this, yeah, yeah, I, that would have been interesting to see for sure. Um, I I didn't have a problem with it, but I would lo- I always love seeing if my eyes can tell the difference between film and digital because I think a lot of people out there have no. I, idea I usually yeah I usually don't yeah I usually don't notice or care, but sometimes with certain movies, it just bugs me, especially if it's a movie that's like, you know, Mank. I think is another one where I haven't finished that movie, but. I'm pretty sure it was filmed I digitally. Did. They do a lot to make it look like an old timey movie, but I think it's still filmed digitally. And if I'm correct, that seems like a really bizarre choice because why wouldn't you film an old timey movie like that on film? An old timey. I hope I'm wrong. I don't know. No, that makes sense. I feel bad though because my number three is you probably wouldn't categorize it being in the same level of it, but now we're I said we're in the nines. This is my last nine, and this is Mulan. And uh, I loved this movie and I know you said you haven't seen it. This might be something maybe if you're interested, I'd love to watch it with you and see what you think of it. Um, Lisa and I watched it again the day, I think it was the day that it came out on uh, premier access. I just, I have a buddy who purchased it and he, he shared his passcode. And so we got to watch it and um, just absolutely loved it. I know, I think there was a couple of, controversies around it i honestly don't uh it must have been around uh yifei liu who is uh, plays mulan some stuff with the hong kong police and whatnot but judging this movie based on itself as a movie um i could easily see people having some nitpicks with it uh but overall i thought it was phenomenal especially as a live action remake of mulan because out of all of the li- this is my favorite live action remake of all of the Disney live action remakes and that's because it purposely is different from the cartoon so there are no songs in the movie there's no singing uh, but the the score is a lot of the same score as the cartoon so like the I'll make a man out of you reflection all those songs the the musical part of the songs is played through the movie and it is played perfectly the actors do a great job but what I think is so great is just how it captured the culture as well it was a very colorful movie everyone is dressed like the set designs the costume design was just gorgeous and she is an absolute badass and she just they they really do this thing where she she has uh, they call it chi in the movie I don't you could call it chakra or whatever you want to call it but like that's how she is such a good warrior is that she has an abundance of it. And so she can do things that like a superhero could do, but it's not like she can fly or anything. It's just that she's a really good fighter. And uh, that explains why she rises up and, and all this stuff. And it just, the action was phenomenal. The, the new things that they added to it were great um, with like the new bad guy who was a, a witch. And then there's the same guy who's the bad guy in the cartoon, but he's sort of different. And so like they tried to make it a different movie, which I appreciated, but I just remember watching it was just, it was a, it was a roller coaster. It was awesome. I really liked it. Okay. Yeah. I've not seen it. So I don't really have anything to say other than um, I generally am skeptical of all these Disney live action remakes that, Mm -hmm. I mean, like I love the original Mulan. I don't really need an update on that as far as I know, unless it's, I mean, apparently, if it's a nine for you, it's one of your top movies. Maybe it is that good. I don't 
I can't imagine that I would like it as much as you do. I don't think you but, would. And I am seeing, you know, the meta, the meta score on it is a 66. So it isn't the green. Uh, the IMDB score on it is a 5.6. But again, I, like I said, there was a lot of yeah, controversy around the movie. The critics. So I think a lot of people purposely rated it low. Uh, it's definitely, Everybody's especially free. it's free on Disney plus already. So like, if you ever want to watch it, let me know. I'd love to rewatch it and see if I still feel the same, but I just know when we watched it, I was sucked in. I was, ca- it captured me the whole way through. And I, I actually saw, <laughs> when I was in Texas at uh, Fred's Philly cheesesteaks, it was playing on TV there. Oh, so Fred's, is always, Fred's knows what's up. They've always got the right shows on. And you know, they sell, you know, they sell the sauce. We, we do sell the sauce. Yeah, we do sell the sauce. Okay. All right. Well, number two, let me ask you this too, as we're, as we're getting closer, you said that was your last date. Do you have any tens this year? I have one ten. Okay, and my one nine. My last two are both tens. Uh, the rest obviously were nine. So okay, so number two, you're saying this is a nine. What do we got? Yeah, this is my nine. This is Sound of Metal, Ooh, which we watched okay. together. Yes, and this is one of those ones where technically came out in 2019, but mm-hmm. we didn't see it until like four weeks ago. Yeah, it was almost 2021 by the time I saw it. Yeah, exactly. But uh, this is you know Riz as a metal drummer who loses his hearing suddenly and he's trying to cope with that and the fact that he was formerly an addict and he goes to essentially like a not necessarily a rehab clinic but just like a like a community for addicts who are also deaf and you know he's trying to learn how to adapt how to live without hearing and all this stuff and it's i mean an amazing movie. Riz is such a good actor. He's the kind of actor at this point where anytime I see he's in something, I want to watch it. Even if it's mm. Venom, you know? even rogue one. Well, eh, see, that's tough, but I mean, <laughs> they didn't give him a whole lot to work with there. And Venom is the same way, but right. Right. Uh, he's, he's such a talented actor and he does such a good job here. And it's, I mean, the, uh, I guess it would be considered the sound design of this movie. It's oh, really, really yes. phenomenal. The way they, you know, the way they do is hearing, because there's big chunks of this movie that there's nothing, there's no sound, mm-hmm. or you hear muffled sounds because they're trying to portray the fact that he can't hear. And then at the very end, you know, when he decides to go through with this procedure and try to get his hearing back, you know, we get to hear what that sound process is like to him. And I don't know if that's how those things actually sound. If they are, that's kind of disappointing. But at the same time, you know, the implants bypass your ear canals and are just sending electric signals to your brain to trick you into thinking you're hearing, but it's just, the sound is so like jarring. And so, you know, otherworldly that by the end of it, he's just like, I can't deal with that either, but just a, I mean, very simple movie. Very powerful though. It's like, it takes maybe like 15 minutes and we're kind of into the fact that he's lost his hearing, but yeah, really powerful. Um, the one thing I think is funny here is what the girl is it? Uh, what is her name? Olivia something that plays opposite. Oh, right. She was in uh, thoroughbreds. Um, she's been in a lot of different stuff. I, mm-hmm. I think my first Olivia cook, to her, Olivia Cook. you know, she was in base motel. She was in the signal and, you know, just using those two as comparison. I think in both of those, she plays somebody who has some sort of, um, physical disability or impairment and it's 
it's nice to see her no longer be typecast and now play opposite somebody with an impairment like that, which is yeah, right. Wow. Cause I, and I'm looking here, I'm looking here at her known. I just, fours. I just thought she that about Olivia Ouija, cook. She was in Ouija as well. I don't remember if that was the, her issue, but she was also in me Earl and the dying girl. That's right. And, yeah. She was the, she dying girl the dying girl. girl. Dying exactly. Girl. She was also in ready player one as well. She was the love interest in ready player one, but yeah, she was in thoroughbreds. And I remember, I think you and I went and saw that in theaters. That was her. And, uh, um, one of my favorite new people, uh, what's her name? Anya Taylor Joy. Do you remember that? And she kind of played a yeah, yeah. That was cool. Um, so yeah, no, no, no. I that movie was my number eleven movie on the list. Uh, I gave that movie an eight. I thought it was fantastic. And yeah, I agree with you. I think that's one of those instances of uh, you know people who are born deaf, and you see those videos of them getting their implants in and they're freaking out because they can hear for the first time. But that's because they have no re- prior reference to what right. sound sounds like. So those implants are probably perfect for them. But then for people who already knew what things sounded like, I imagine those implants, if they are like what he experienced, are probably terrible because right. that is just, yeah, that was really hard to watch. But at the same time, it was just, it was awesome. What I really liked to the, um, his, the guy who played his mentor at this place oh, did yeah. such a good job. Oh, he, he had some great. great monologues. Um, you know, he talked at one point about how, you know, the community that he creates is about, you know, telling everybody that, you know, there's nothing wrong with them and, you know, helping them get to terms with who they are. And the fact that Riz got these implants is like, you know, I can't have you here because that goes against what I'm teaching people. So you need to leave. I thought that was really cool. And then the other thing that he said that I keep, I've always been thinking about this, what he said, because he has, you know, Riz, I keep saying Riz. I can't remember what his name is. Amen. In the movie. No, oh, his in name the, in the movie, movie. his I'll name is uh, Ruben. That's right. It's Ruben. So he, he has Ruben go and sit in a room. And he's like, I just want you to sit and think. And if you can't just sit, then write. And after this, after he gets the implants, and the guy says to him, he's like, I wonder if in all that, all that time up there sitting, if you ever found, you know, moments of stillness, because in those moments of stillness, that's the kingdom of God. And I just, I thought that was such a cool sentiment. And I mean, we see him sort of put that into action later in the movie too, but yeah, really powerful. Mm-hmm. And I, I was thinking about the fact that, you know, when I was a baby, I couldn't hear. I don't remember how old I was when mom figured that out. And that's then right. they, you know, after that, I had a bunch of, you know, tubes put in, didn't need like cochlear implants. I just had to, get fluid drained from my ears or something. But I had that whole moment of, you know, driving home from the hospital, like telling everyone to be quiet. Cause I heard an ambulance for the first time. Wow. But so it, it makes it's the, it's movies like this that I really enjoy. Cause it's like trying to put yourself in that headspace of like, what would life be like if you lost one of those senses and not just any sense, but like, I mean, he's a metal drummer. So music is like his life and his livelihood. And it's just, yeah, really yeah. intense emotionally. Man, I remember but that with your really your cool. tubes. That's I forgot about that, but I remember that back then. That was wild. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and that kind of goes with, I don't remember what year that was. Do you remember when it was, uh, it was Don't Breathe and Lights Out, those two scary movies where the one was, <laughs> yeah. it was all in the dark and then the other one was, so like it was like you couldn't well, the see other, and then the other one was like, couldn't uh, make sounds. That's like the quiet place in Bird Box. Yeah, exactly. Bird, you know, it's the same. 
I like that they twist those into horror movies. But. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, that was also that other one with Stanley Tucci that wasn't very good, but they they capitalized on that same thing of you can't make any sudden movements or whatever. Um, yeah. But yeah, those are always great. I, I agree. I think Sound of, Mu- Sound of Music, uh, Sound, Sound, of Music. The Sound of Metal should at least be nominated for sound, uh, the sound editing, oh, yeah. the sound production or whatever. Um, okay, my number two, and we are now, this was a movie that when I watched it, I gave it a nine, but I was nervous about that nine. I was questioning whether it really was a nine. When I watched it a second time, I immediately and quickly put it at a 10. This is My Hero Academia, Heroes Rising. Uh, the second my hero movie uh again i've got a whole podcast episode on this so i won't spend too much time on it but all i'll say is on that second viewing and by second viewing i mean i watched it in theaters and it was phenomenal in theaters it was so great it was great to be in a crowd of people who also were really enjoying this movie but there were a couple pieces of the movie that were and i think that's why i gave it a nine that like when a certain at the at the very end there's a there's a song that plays while the heroes are fighting and it's an incredibly powerful scene like chills for you know a long time as all these insane things are happening but the music you could like you couldn't hear so like the sound felt off and it's the same thing that's going to be I'll talk a little bit about in in our number 1 movie which I know is the same for both of us uh, yeah. is there's just certain instances where it felt like the sound was off and it was like this is too loud you can't hear what's going on. And I was like, well, who knows? Maybe it'll be better at home. 100% was better at home. And yeah. it, it was so good. Uh, God, this movie is just, it's the ultimate. And it's just like the first movie in, in that it's just this ultimate movie of kids rising to the challenge and pushing themselves past their limits. And I know we talk again, we t- I've talked about this a lot of times, so I won't spend too much time, but that is my number two movie. I it is one of my favorite movies ever. Wow. Uh, so number one, uh, like I said, I'm going to venture to say yours is the same as mine. I have it out of yeah. 10. It is ten, a 10 for tenant. Yes. And, uh, this movie is uh, a very special movie because the controversy behind this movie is 100% warranted. I did not like the fact that, uh, Christopher Nolan was so, adamant that this movie had to be released in theaters it had to be seen in theaters i get that he needs his money i get that he's a snob i understand all of that but actually going to see the movie in theaters when it came out was awesome and again barring those sound issues that i think happened in a couple of moments where it was like there was a lot going on and there was a lot of really weird sounds and i couldn't hear what they were saying a couple times but it was just this and I'll, again, I think I made an episode on this one, but Stevie, take it away. I'll let you talk about it. You want me to talk about controversy or the movie? Itself? No, 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 no. Uh, okay. I think I, co- I think I covered the controversy. There's not much more needed to be said. It was, it was a movie that was planned to be released and yeah. obviously the pandemic hit and Christopher Nolan said, well, we have to release it in theaters and they kept pushing it back and then they released it and it didn't make a lot of money. Uh, and they're like, well, that sucks. And it's like, well, what are you going to expect? What do you expect? What yeah. do you expect? Uh, but we went and saw it. Yeah. I mean, you're, I think you're the same way. I'm a sucker for Christopher Nolan movies. Yes. I feel like, you know, there's a lot of people in, you know, the film critics fear that don't think he's that all that. Um, I, I feel like critically his movies maybe aren't best received. And this one, I think, is no exception to that rule, where I think a lot of people weren't really impressed with it, or a lot of people thought the time moving back and forth kind of thing was maybe 
insistent or whatever, but man, it's just a, a really, really cool concept. The special effects, but really it seems to be mostly practical effects. I don't know how they did a lot of this stuff where everything's reversing, but I loved the movie. Um, John David Washington, he's called the protagonist. Mm -hmm. I think that's a a sign of things to come. I think he should be the protagonist in every movie ever made. He's, I mean, he's just kind of put him in all the movies. Right, exactly. Mulan, put him in that, main character. He's a golden age Hollywood star. Let's put him where he belongs. Mm-hmm. Um, Robert Pattinson does a great job. Yes. Uh, I'm blanket. There's a ton of actors in here. Elizabeth Debicki. Elizabeth Debicki. That's right. Kenneth Branagh plays the villain. Yep. He plays a uh, rush. Isn't I Tyler? Like not even sure uh, it was him for a lot of it. Not Taylor Kitsch. He's not in it. Uh, no, 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 no. No. Um, Ultron. Quicksilver. Uh, let's see if it's on here. It should be Robert Pattinson. Where is he? Is that Austin uh, Taylor Johnson? What is? Uh, yeah, yes. Uh, Taylor Aaron, Aaron Taylor, Taylor Johnson. Johnson. Yes, Aaron He's Taylor Johnson movie? was in this movie. Yeah, let me see. Let me get the full I cast could, here. What was he? One uh, of the army guys. Probably. He was one of the army guys at the end. Yes, that makes um, sense. Yeah, Aaron Taylor Johnson. He was Ives. And I'm looking I, uh, through this list to see. If is this movie anything. out to buy? Because I feel like I need to buy it. Watch it is. Oh, Michael Caine's in it. Let's not forget that. Of course, um, Michael Caine's in it. Yeah, I've got. I don't know. I mean, obviously, you're wanting to buy it, but my plan is I've got it on the watch list for Amazon to get the 4K, and so I'll have a digital copy that I'll redeem that you'd be able to watch. But uh, I know you probably. No, I need, want I need to get myself copy. a copy of this. I know. Uh, uh, but yeah, really. I mean, the story is really engaging. It's you know it's kind of like a classic heist. I love when Chris. I mean, it, it reminds me of Inception in that sense. Where oh yeah, you know both heist movies where we're let's hey let's do something quirky and manipulate time, and this is a new way of doing that that I think is really cool. I love. I mean, come on, the heist involves. Well, the heist didn't really involve gold bars, but there's scenes with gold bars. I mean, that's like, how is yeah. that? You can't something simple that. like that. It's just like hey. <laughs> This is how we know it's. Um, I don't. It's. It's. I don't know what to say other than I really enjoyed it. I understand that maybe some people wouldn't because it's a little convoluted. The other thing that um, you were talking about with sound, um, this was one where a lot of times the I feel like the the score, the sound effects were mixed a little higher, mm-hmm. and the uh, dialogue was sometimes harder to hear. But there's also a line in the movie where one of the characters says, like, don't think about it too much or don't try to figure it out, which I thought was funny. And it kind of encouraged me to throughout this movie to be like, oh, I couldn't quite hear what you said. Let's not worry about it. Let's just. Yeah. It yes. sounds like I'm making an excuse. No, Maybe I, am, I, I did the exact but, same thing. And I think we talked about that where that when he says yeah. that, he's like, don't think about this too much. And I was like, OK, I'm fine. And I it made the movie that much better. It is really one of those movies where I'm looking at it and its runtime is 150 minutes. So this really was two and a half hours long. It does not feel that long. So it's, no. it's Christopher Nolan movies are always great because if you really work hard, you can appreciate the movie on a whole another level. But if you just watch the movie for itself, it's just cool. And the movie just passes by and it breezes by and you're like, wow. But yeah, on that point, uh, let's give every Oscar to Ludwig Gornson because he is on the top of his game right now. This along with uh, the Mandalorian, he is just absolutely 
killing it on soundtracks or on scores. And then this movie even had an, and I had not listened to it beforehand, but the plan by Travis Scott is especially made for this movie is so sick. And in theaters, when it just starts up and the, you know, the movie ends and it's like, Oh my goodness. Like we, I know we were like, let's go see this movie again. And, uh, yeah, but no, this movie was phenomenal. Definitely worth the, you know, the top spot in it. Uh, and also not just for that, but for the fact that despite the controversy, it was really, it was like a, um, it really felt special seeing this movie in theaters after everything that had happened. And obviously, again, there were a lot of people who still wouldn't have gone to see it and didn't go see it because of the virus. So I would say we were probably in the lucky group of, you know, braving it, going out there and doing it. And I'm certainly, I made sure not to encourage anyone to go do it because of all the safety issues, but it really did feel special to kind of have that. I'm not going to let the virus get me sort of thing to go out and watch this big blockbuster movie that again, he was right that it was a movie that needed to be experienced in theaters, but it just came at such a time where it, you know, speaking of time where it just, it was a, it was a great movie for when it came out. Yeah. Say what you will about the controversy and Nolan's insistence on putting in theaters, but Chris is a guy and I call him Chris for good buddies. Sure. Chris is a guy who understands the power of movie magic. You know, he, Mm. he's got these movies that deserve to have asses in the seats because I mean, he, it's like, it's a grand spectacle and it's, he's one of these guys that I think exists, you know, between the two warring forces at play in any movie, which is art and entertainment value. But he's somebody that's like smack dab in the middle where, you know, he's got a lot of focus on the art of the craft and like, you know, caring about shooting on IMAX film and all this stuff. But at the same time, he knows how to make, you know, a thrilling, like entertaining popcorn movie. And with that in mind, he's absolutely right that this is one you should see in theaters. I'm so glad we did. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I wish it came at another time. It, you know, it'd be cool as if once everything gets back to normal, if that ever occurs, if normal exists. Once theaters are kind of reopening, maybe we try and re-release it. Just right, yeah. release all Christopher Nolan movies. I'll see Interstellar <laughs> yes. once a month if it's in theaters. I don't care. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, okay, so well, that's twenty twenty four. That's twenty twenty, folks, and we uh, we're at a at a crossroads now. So we're going to be diving into the second piece of this conversation, which is there were a lot of movies that came out this year. Well, no, there were not a lot of movies that came out this year, but as you know, my brother and I are movie heads. We're, we're cinephiles, call us what you want, but we love our films. I was pulling the list of all the movies that I had watched this year in 2020. And uh, this was probably at the end, probably mid December. So not yet December. And I was at 276 was how many ratings I had had, uh, had for the year. So we've seen a lot of stuff this year. And so the other thing I always like calling out is movies that you've seen for the first time during the year that did not come out in 2020. So maybe it was an older movie that you'd been meaning to watch or some movie again, that you were like, wow, I you know didn't realize how good this movie was. So um, that's what this next little portion is going to be. And uh, so we're just going to kind of list off what our top 10 movies are uh, that we watched last year that we really liked and would highly recommend to everybody to, uh, to check out. So Stevie, we'll start with, uh, with you for number 10. What do you have? Okay. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't put these in order, but I have my ratings next to them. So and I that's okay. Yeah. It doesn't need to be in order. Go. 
So I think I'll start with uh, an evening with Beverly Luff Lynn. Ooh, okay. Which is a, uh, I don't know when this came out, probably like 2017 or 18 would be my guess. It's on Netflix or was when we watched it. It's a, uh, it's this bizarre comedy movie starring Craig Robinson, uh, Aubrey Plaza, Jermaine Clement. Mm-hmm. Uh, really just wacky, zany, bizarro comedy along the lines of, I don't even know what. It kind of reminds me of like, like a bit like a Jared Hess movie, but with even less things making sense. All the acting is super bizarre. It's just, it's hard to even describe, but I, I feel like I watched that probably at least twice just watching that with everybody on Netflix and it, I got a kick out of it both yeah. times. Definitely recommend. Yeah, that was, it was a weird movie, but it was a very good movie. Um, my, uh, my number 10 is for your consideration, which is uh, ah, 2006 yeah. uh, by Christopher guest. It is a Christopher guest film uh, in the vein of best in show and uh, they did the the mascot movie on Netflix. Surprisingly, this was one that I had not seen. We had none of us had seen before. And so, in that same vein, it is the same group of actors, except it's around uh, movies. Which I was like, how did we not see this sooner? But the description is: three actors learn that their respective performances in the film Home for Purim, a drama <laughs> set in the mid 1940s American South, are generating award season buzz. It was uh, so funny. And I'm, I was trying to think back, like when I saw it in the ratings, I was like, oh my God, that's right. We watched this movie. Like I didn't remember much, but the more that I think about it, like Catherine O'Hara was so good in this movie of being like trying to be aloof, but also being like, hey, I heard that, uh, you know, right. they're talking about me. What's a, uh, they basically, the Oscar it was, like, buzz it was the too. old people finding out about social media, like, hey, you know, there, there, there's some buzz going on on this one website. And they, they think that now they're going to be in Oscar contention. Uh, really funny, really funny movie. Um, yeah, I love that one too. I think most Christopher Guest movies are at least going to be pretty funny. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay, number nine. Um, let's see. Nine for me, I'm going to go with, uh, let's say, Nightmare on Elm Street. Ooh, nice. That's on my list as well. We both saw that for the first yeah. time. That was a really fun, uh, kind of unexpected uh, movie watch, I'll, I'll say, because that was Halloween that night. That was on Halloween night, And yeah. we were kind of just screwing around at the house, and we were like, what's Stevie up to? And so we had texted you, and we were like, hey, what are you doing? And you are like, nothing. And we were like, do you want to just come over and watch a movie? <laughs> and so we rented Nightmare on Elm movie. Street, and that's one of those great times where I've, I, for those of you, if I haven't mentioned it, I've got a, a three-person recliner situation going on in the basement uh with this giant tv and i always love when you can fill up all the seats i, I like having a sold out theater and so uh that <laughs> was great to have uh, you lisa and myself watching this movie and yeah that i i really liked it i thought it was great yeah surprised that we hadn't seen it before honestly yeah. it's, you know it's one of those classic seminal horror a lot of blood yeah very bloody but super imaginative Freddie's hilarious because he's mm-hmm. just like he's like a sleazy guy. That, oh yeah, <laughs> that I didn't really. I mean, I knew that to be the case because I think I had seen Freddie versus Jason. He was sleazy in that, but I didn't realize that. that I thought that was just like something they tacked on later. Mm-hmm. But from and the start, more, more power to Robert crazy. England for being Freddie in all mm-hmm. of those movies. Like he's Freddie versus Jason, but he's also in this one, and those are like twenty years apart. 
yeah. uh, 22 years apart. But then also this was one of Johnny, wasn't this Johnny Depp's first role? Yeah. Yeah. So he his did. Yeah, I thought he did great too. Um, there's actually a bunch of horror movies on this list. We watched a lot of new ones, but uh, my number nine is altered States with uh, William hurt. This was one that you had recommended we watch and we all did. And uh, it was a trip and was, these are the kind of movies that I love are the ones that I had no idea about, but are on topics that like a really good movie could have been made of this today, but this movie came out in 1980 and it's just, oh my goodness. I mean, and, and the, if you haven't seen it, the description is a psychophysiologist or a sock, a psychosizologist experiments with drugs and a sensory deprivation tank and has visions he believes are genetic memories. And if that sounds trippy, it is. And the best part about it is that it's William Hurt doing it because as you all know, he is uh, Thunderbolt Ross in the Marvel movies and obviously in plenty of How other dare things. You? How dare you? <laughs> refer to William Hurt as his Marvel character. Look, I'm William just saying that he, royalty. he is Hollywood royalty, yet he made this movie. And I'm not saying that in a bad way. I'm just saying this is not the kind of movie that I would have expected him to make because he is such a straight-laced guy and he plays such a good, like, he gets very psychedelic in this movie. And uh, I just, I loved it. I loved it. And all I'll say... Um, We'll say wouldn't call it spoilers. I'll just say, you know, they, they do the, the Twitter tweet of four four photos with no context given. All I'll say is monkey. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I can't remember. Somebody, I think it was like in high school, uh, some friend told me they were watching this movie just out of nowhere. And I, I think I picked it up. At the, I was like, holy crap, this is really good. And then I picked it up on DVD at some point after that. Just kind of always had it. And then what was that on HBO or something? We were just looking around, uh, yeah. and I was like, "Oh, you got no one's seen this. We got to watch it." Mm-hmm. Shout, out, shout out to HBO. They've been putting out so many, like not putting out, but their streaming service has so many good movies on it. And I said that before a long time ago of like all the Criterion movies that are on there, but they really have a great selection of movies if you're looking for, you know, something a little different, something a little out there. Uh, okay, uh, number eight. Okay, number eight for me. I will go with um, After Hours. After Hours wow. is a Scorsese movie Ooh. from, I think, the 80s. It's one where I've, I've seen the poster for years, and it, I was always intrigued, didn't know what the hell it was supposed to mean. Here, I'll give you the uh, I'm looking plot at right from now. IMDb. An ordinary word processor has the worst night of his life after he, after he agrees to visit a girl in Soho who he met that evening in a coffee shop. It's a really strange movie. It's literally just this night in New York. This guy is bouncing around doing this weird, just running into weird people. It's just, it's it's kind of an unusual Scorsese. Like the vibe kind of feels like Taxi Driver in terms of just New York City night. But mm-hmm. it's really, it's it's funny. It's strange. It's just, it's unusual. And I love that. I mean, the thing that I love the most about it is just like, it seems like one of these movies that, I don't know if it did well back in the 80s, but it's the kind of movie that I feel like studios wouldn't even take a chance on these days. Just kind of like here, you know, it's just this weirdo story. Yeah. Um, But I, the reason I wanted to watch it, I think, partly because I'd seen that poster for a long time and it always Mm -hmm. intrigued me, but partly because um, if you remember at the beginning of 2020, 
with the Oscars and um, Bong Joon-ho winning. I was watching some interviews and he talks a lot about how Scorsese is one of his favorite directors and that this was one of his favorite Scorsese movies. And I was like, I haven't even seen this movie. I barely even heard anything about it. So I had to watch it. And oh. it was really cool. Nice, man. Now I've got another movie to add to the list. What did you watch that on? Don't know. It says, I think it's on HBO currently. Of course. I either watched it on there or Prime, probably. Okay. And I saw it short. But, it's only like an hour and 30 minutes. Yeah. It's just, you know, get in, get out. I love this actor. I can't remember his name. Griffin Dunn mm. uh, from American Werewolf in London. He plays oh. the, the friend who dies and is like. Oh, like, that guy. Yeah. He's kind zombie. of like Dudley Moore. Yeah. But he's he's good in this. And there's a lot of you know, wacky characters that show up to other actors that pop in. Nice. That's awesome. Really good one. Uh, my number eight is the house that Jack built. The first of two mm-hmm. Lars von Trier movies on this list. Um, I, there's not a lot to say about this film uh, to say that, uh, you know, without saying, just go watch it. Um, this movie is about a very uh, highly intelligent serial killer over the course of 12 years, depicting the murders that really developed him as a, uh, as a person. And again, that is what I would describe as classic Lars von Trier of exploring a, something that most other people wouldn't touch with a 10 foot pole. Uh, but that's because of who Lars von Trier is. He's a, at times been a very troubled man. He's got a lot of, uh, you got, he's got, he, he's like Will Forte in uh, Tim and Eric's Billion Dollar Movie where he says, I got a lot of stuff going on up here and uh, it would help if you could just all shut up. Uh, he, he, he has a lot of demons that he deals with from what I've seen in a lot of the behind the scenes stuff. And so he channels that through the movies that he makes. And uh, I thought this movie was fantastic. And um, in the most messed up way, like it, this is one of those movies where, I think Lars von Trier is one of the foremost directors that you either love him or you hate him. And I love him. And all the stuff that he puts out is like so questionable of like, Oh, I shouldn't be liking this, but (laughs) I, but you still do because it's like, okay. Like I, I like seeing something different. And so sure. Like let's watch a serial killer go through, you know, his kills. And there's absolutely no redeeming quality to Matt Dillon's serial killer, but you can't help but watch. And again, without spoiling much, all I'll say is uh, if you've ever seen the movie Full Metal Jacket, uh, you might be able to appreciate this movie just a little bit more by the end of it. But uh, it's a it's a dark. I'm curious. Was this is this on your list as well? Yeah. You want to guess what number it is? Yeah, this is your number one movie, wasn't it? Yeah, because this is a 10 for me. Yeah, that was the movie ended and Steve was like, well, that's a 10. Yeah, I blow this movie blew me away it's just yeah. so well constructed i love the uh, the whole epilogue with um what's that actor his name is uh i think bruno gans bruno maybe? gans yep uh-huh and the, the, i mean he's deceased this is probably his last movie but he plays a uh, guy that i mean i'm not going to give that away that whole stuff at the end but it was just so cool and like alex said this is one where everything's questionable and it's all like very like sick and twisted and it's this is of course one of those movies that probably got booed at can or whatever oh of course and, of course but it's just man it's it's sort of like the magnum opus for lars i would say. really felt like it without yeah. having seen all of his movies i feel like this is it's i mean it's certainly my favorite and it's like the culmination of all the things that he does right i think mm-hmm 
Well, in this movie, from what I was, I'm trying to remember what I was thinking because I've, I've tried. I, I would like to. I could say that I'm a Lars von Trier connoisseur. Uh, I love Lars von Trier, and I've loved him more and more as the years go on, especially because of uh, the the other movie that we'll discuss on here as it comes up. Oh, uh, I think I know what's going of on. Of watching the special features on that movie and learning more about how he got booed and and kicked out of the Cannes Film Festival and all that stuff. Um, but he just, I, I wouldn't say this is my favorite of all of his movies. I would probably say that it's Melancholia. That's my favorite of his, Melancholia but, is great too. Uh, but it really felt like that, Matt, especially when you get to the end of this movie, I would say that this, this movie, every movie in a sense is about Lars von Trier. He, all of his movies are about the stuff that he's dealing with. And a lot of it is in his head because he's, I mean, he's admitted that he's had mental issues and all this stuff where he's struggling with his emotions and it's very hard for him to like get out of bed during the day. And so just the themes behind this movie, I totally got from his perspective, but this movie was essentially like his response to everybody hating on him was like, this is essentially what you're thinking. Like to what I thought was that the main character, Matt Dillon was Lars von Trier was kind of who he was saying he was of like, and I'm just coming up with this right now, but like each kill kind of being the movies that he made and you know some people liked it some people didn't and then by the end of the movie again you're getting him dealing with that reckoning and dealing with you know here's my life's work and here's the things that i've done throughout my life and i have to i have to reconcile with that and it's just it was fascinating and and again for such a questionable movie and such a it, it really i i believe these are the types of movies that can help you expand your mind in a sense to say this is something that society says is terrible don't be a serial killer and we're certainly not advertising you to be one but to actually understand the thought process behind that to to see it as a film gives you that understanding because a lot of people just need some understanding behind it more so than it being thrown in your face so i i think that was great in that regard yeah uh okay number seven Number seven for, oh, that's for me because that, right. Let's see. Oh, this one would be Don't Look Now. And this is a horror movie from, I think, the 70s or 80s. This is, oh, is that the uh, one with, uh, what's his face? uh, Not Dylan, um, Donald Sutherland. Donald Sutherland. Yeah, I've got that on my list to watch. I don't know if that's how you pronounce that. Okay. Uh, here's your little uh, blurb. Laura and John grieved by a terrible loss meet in Venice where John is in charge of the restoration of the church. Two mysterious sisters, one of whom gives them a message sent from the afterlife. That's sort of a weird Interesting. <laughs> but yeah, you have this couple who dies almost immediately in the movie. And then they move to Europe and are living in Italy. And there's just these strange ladies that start talking to the wife. Uh, this movie has a reputation for i think there's there's like a sex scene that's fairly graphic and i think that for that reason it ends up on lists but believing that aside this is like a really good horror movie and one of like a handful that i've experienced in my life where like i was really terrified by the end of it like and it's it's just strange because it's not like i don't know you have these ladies that are talking about whatever there's kind of these mystical and one of them's blind and she's talking about seeing the daughter and it's like getting in the head of the wife. And by the end of it, there's just like this, I mean, I'm not going to give away what happens, but like the climax of the movie is essentially 
Donald Sutherland is like chasing this character through Venice that I, he might believe is his daughter. It's like a, what appears to be like a little girl in a coat or something. And it's, there's so much suspense to it. And the way it ends is so creepy and so terrifying that I, it was one of those movies where I, afterwards I had to like turn a bunch of lights on. I was spooked. Wow. spooked. And I uh, would love to watch it again. Yeah, it's on my list now. I know we were trying to watch it, so uh, we definitely need to make some time to watch that this year, whether that's for Halloween or at any point in time, because I think I added it to my list too. It's on HBO as well, I think. Yeah, probably. But yeah, really, really good movie. Awesome. I wish wish we were getting to this other movie that I was previewing and preluding to from Lars because it sounds almost identical to that. But uh, my number seven is Friday the 13th from 1980. And I know everyone, I said that Ah. I was going to put out an episode for all the Friday movies. I don't know what more I would say besides what I'm going to talk about right now. So this, this is your Friday the 13th taste. Stevie, myself, Harry, and Cameron, we all put in the hours this year. We watched every Friday the 13th movie, and I will count and, and confidently say that even though you guys did not watch some of the crowning movies at the very end with me, that's okay. That's fine. I'm talking about Jason Goes to Hell, Jason X, Freddy versus Jason. But uh, I had not seen the first Friday the 13th movie before. I realized I had seen clips of it and maybe I had seen a part of it at, I remember there was a time, I don't know if you have this memory, but I remember I went over to uh, the Rich's house back in Texas, uh, Dallas and Ashley's house. And I, it was on Halloween. And I remember it was like we had trick or treated or something, whatever it was, I ended up over at their house and they were watching a Friday the 13th movie. And I sat and watched it with them for a while. And I think it was the second movie but that's like the only memory I'd had. And so I counted it as this was my first time seeing it. And I I think it was really good. I I thought the first movie was great and uh, really kind of dove into that quite that idea that like, if you don't know a lot about these movies, it's like, Oh, this is, this is Jason and the, the hockey mask. And it's like, what most people don't realize is you don't get that until the third movie. Uh, or maybe it's the, the end of the second movie, but like the whole first movie, Jason isn't even in this movie. It's all his mom. And when you think about that back in 1980, uh, for this being, if I'm remembering right, this was the first, well, like the first slasher movie, unless this movie came out before or after a Halloween, this was like the first slasher movie, but then it's not even about Jason. The slasher is the mom. And so at the time, if this movie was, if I'd have seen it in 1980, I'd have probably lost my mind at the end, the end, the, the twist that it was the mom, because it's like, holy cow, the whole movie, you're watching it from a first person's perspective of the killer. And the whole time you're assuming it's Jason because you've seen the other Friday movies and, and you've played the game or I've, you know, I play the game and, uh, so to have that, it was just really cool for the lore to find out, you know, all these secrets and, and, and diving real deep, but as well, you know, there's eight or nine other movies after this and they, they're all varying degrees of good. Uh, but I would say this is probably one of the better ones of all of them for sure. Yeah. I, uh, it was probably my favorite that we watched the first one, Mm -hmm. but I mean, I know that you have maybe a greater attachment to these than I do. They're good, but, I don't think they're all that good. 
but they're definitely the classics. I I won't Mm -hmm. dispute that. Yeah. And again, I I will say again, after watching every single one of them, my favorite of them all is the 2009 uh, Friday the 13th still, which actually funny enough was the first one that I watched. And I guess maybe not funny enough because I guess maybe I have an attachment to it, but, uh, but yeah. So uh, number six, was for me nightmare on elm street so that was okay. we, we talked about that what is your number six my six would be let's see i'm trying to order these last few um i'm gonna go with i don't know if i'm pronouncing it right but yee is the name of this movie mm. i y i y i is how that's spelled is I it about the turtle man it, no not that guy i believe yee. this is a uh let me make sure before i say anything uh this is directed by edward Yang. this is a movie from the year 2000 it's a criterion movie mm. i'm trying to remember what country of origin oh it's taiwan uh but this is sort of like it's hard to explain it's a very long it's like two it's almost three hours long oh, wow. but it's kind of like um it's kind of like boyhood right it's just, it's very much like a slice of life for this family and I like, here's the description. It doesn't sound like there's much to it. Each member of a middle-class Taipei family seeks to reconcile past and present relationships when they're, within their daily lives. And it's, it's cool because you get to see, I'm pretty sure, you know, you start with this character when he's like a little boy and I'm pretty sure it progresses through him as an adult even. So it's kind of, you know, you're following this family and it's just, I mean, it's, describing it doesn't really do it justice because it sounds very mundane, but it's just one of those movies that is really engrossing because you get wrapped up in that sort of daily life slice of life type stuff. I don't know. Mm. It's, it's one that's obviously hard to describe, but it was, uh, it was a blind buy for me on criterion that I just wanted to check out. Uh, Those are the best. Yeah. We're uh, we're actually approaching my next three movies on this list are Criterion movies, and uh, a couple of them were blind buys. So uh, that's the the beauty of Criterion, and again, the beauty of HBO Max because a lot of these are on HBO Max. Obviously, I would also encourage people to subscribe to the Criterion channel. Most of these movies you can get on there as well. But if you've already got HBO Max, that's like it's insane how many Criterion movies are on HBO Max, especially foreign films. Uh, like that. Um, so yeah, now we'll, uh, we'll go into our number five. Uh, what do you got for that? Uh, number five for me, I'm going to go with a movie called miracle in Milan. Mm. This is an old one. Uh, let me find the year. It might be like the thirties even. Oh, wow. It's an old black and white movie. Oh, it's 1951. Okay. And it is Italian. It's an Italian movie. I can't remember why I watched it if it was maybe one that won the Palm d'Or, or if it was just like a, I see this on a streaming site, I wanted to watch it. But it's a really cool story about basically this like homeless camp in Milan where I think the people find oil in the homeless camp. So they, you know, are being courted by all these business people trying to buy their land and I, it's hard to remember exactly how everything progresses, but the main character, um, he's given like a dove from maybe like the ghost of his mom or something gives him a dove and the dove enables him. It's it like grants his wishes or something. 
Ooh. You know, he's using it to give himself whatever he wants and give all these other people in the camp whatever they want. And it's hard to explain. Like, again, it's almost like a dream trying to remember the movie. But it was really, really good. That's the main thing that I remember because it's, I mean, it's an old movie, but it's super imaginative. And, you know, the production design was really cool. This homeless camp in the middle of the city. I It's... It's weird. I don't know what more I could say about this one other than I really had a good time. It's funny. It's heartfelt. It's in Italian, but I, hey, yeah, I don't know. so I love that. But yeah, I don't know. It was really great. I can't remember what I watched it on. Uh, Might have been Criterion Channel. Might have been, I don't think HBO. I'll see if it's on anything, but it's a really cool one. Nice. And uh, the, I, those are always the best. I like, uh, especially when it's a foreign film. Like I love finding foreign films that I, I love uh, yeah. my number five. And so now we're, we're hitting it. And the reason I was saying it is antichrist, which uh, I talked about. I maybe talked about in another episode. I can't remember, but I was laughing when you were talking about don't look now because same thing. It's a, it's a movie about a, a grieving couple and there's a there is an explicit sex scene in it as well. Uh, but this is a Lars von Trier movie with Willem Dafoe and Charlotte Gainsborough. Gainsbourg. And um, this movie was just awesome. I mean, same thing. It's it's one of those movies where uh, you either love it or you hate it. And I I got it on on Blu-ray from the Criterion, and they've got so many great special features in it that really dive into kind of the behind the scenes of this. And so this was one of uh, Lars's more darker movies about stuff that he was dealing with. Um, from what I remember, he had said that this, like it took him a really long time to make this movie. There were days that he wasn't able to go on set because he was so depressed. And the uh, same thing when this movie premiered at Cannes, he was booed. Uh, but there was also like, he got a, he got like an eight minute standing ovation for the movie. Uh, but then he also got booed for the movie and there was something that he said during the interviews that some, it may, it may have even been about Nazis or something that, uh, uh, they banned him. They banned him from the Cannes film festival. And, uh, I think he's back. I'm not sure. Again, he's a very troubled guy. Uh, but I personally think he makes some really great movies just for the, shock factor of these movies again to really make you watch something different and this was one of those ones that just again if you don't like Lars von Trier or if you don't like um like I mean even for this one like mutilation and uh, body mutilation like don't watch this movie <laughs> don't watch it because yeah, you will just recommend. you'll get really mad and you'll get really sick but if you can put put up with that sort of stuff or close your eyes through it and still try to enjoy the rest I'd highly recommend it because there's a lot of really good themes in the movie that to kind of look at and analyze is so funny. I'm looking at it here. The gross for it is 0.4 million. So uh, it, it didn't even break. Sounds a like dollars. a Malik premiere. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that, that uh, was my number five. Uh, what do you got for number four? Number four for me would be, I got to figure out how I want to order these last few. That's the tricky part. Um, I think I'll go with portrait of a lady on fire. Um, and that's one that I mean technically could have maybe gone in my top 10 as a but it was one that premiered in 2019 it was probably in Oscar consideration for last year mm -hmm. so I'm going to include it here but I mean really great romantic movie Wait, what, what, uh, what movie did you say I'm sorry 
Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Oh, I think oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. I did. I like that movie it a lot, too. got added to Hulu. I don't know if it's still on there, but I saw that one. That was one, again, that I saw in theaters shortly before everything got locked down. I love the opportunity to see any kind of foreign film like that in theaters. It's just a cool experience. But, um, yeah, it's just really engrossing romance. Um, I don't know what makes it so special other than it's just they do a great job constructing the romance between the characters and the it's sort French, of French, right? The aftermath. Yeah. Yeah. It's in French. Sounds like then maybe but, it's a sort of uh, je ne sais quoi. Yeah, exactly. It's hard to put a pin on it, but mm-hmm. uh, I know I really loved it and I love the way it ended. Yeah. It's just, and it has, really Ram- it has Ramada from hot shots. And I did not realize that until Ramada. you told me that long after seeing it. Uh, it was yeah, it really was wild good. to see, you know, I was really happy to see her because I was like, she's one of those people where, you know, I, I was hoping she'd been doing okay. And when I saw her in that movie, I was like, yeah. okay, I'm glad, glad to see that you're still, she's still out there. She's still kicking. Uh, also, but I, I agree. It was great. The basic premise of it, the idea that you, uh, some lady is coming to paint a portrait of this girl so she could be married off to somebody who's, I guess that's how you, that's like the original uh, Tinder instead of oh, yeah. pictures on your phone, you'd have to commission a portrait. I wonder if they swipe left or right was, on the portrait but... when they receive it. Like there's a trash can on one side right. where they put the portrait or something, or the wall something along the those lines. Yeah. 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 Uh, but great. really cool. Definitely recommend it. Yeah. I would say the same. Uh, my number four is Tokyo Drifter, uh, which ah, is a Seijin yeah. Suzuki movie. And I love this movie. I want to say too, every movie on this, on my top, my list of this, all 10 of them, they're all eights. Uh, but this one was especially great because uh, these were all eights. These wow. were all eights for me. Yeah. And uh, this movie was just so good. It's about a, uh, it says after his gang disbands, a Yakuza enforcer looks forward to life outside of organized crime, but soon must become a drifter after his old rivals attempt to assassinate him. Uh, this movie is just, and and it's a, it's, it's Suzuki. I'd say maybe at his best. I don't know. I've only seen two of his movies, but uh, they're just so colorful. And uh, the set design is so great. And then I loved the uh, Tokyo. That was the, like his like soundtrack that would always, the guy would always sing it as he would appear sort of thing. And oh, yeah. uh, it had a great movie. I loved it. And that was 1966, but Criterion movie, I think it might be on HBO, uh, but I'm not sure, but that I really liked it. I thought it was great. Yeah. That's a great one. I'd prefer branded to kill. Mm-hmm. Well, like yeah. Tokyo I'd seen branded really to kill the year prior, but both of them were great. Brand, brand, they both have that very, it's a very unique movie. Yeah. Uh, all right. Number three, number three for me, I'm going to go with, um, I think I'm going to go with Klaus. Ooh, nice. The uh, animated movie about Santa Claus, the origins of Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. That was uh, awesome. Yeah, that was really, really good. Immediately, I would say I accept that into the uh, the classic canon of Christmas movies. 100%. Um, just super original, kind of coming up with the mythology behind Santa as a collaboration between like an exiled postman and some toy maker living in the woods. Uh, I, I don't want to 
to give any other description other than that because it's really a good one to just experience without knowing anything about it i'd say but that's well, is that a Netflix original? I don't know. It is. That it's is on Netflix though. Netflix original, and it, and was, it was nominated for best animated movie last year. Yeah, and I don't know what won last year, but it probably should have been this, unless you tell me that it was something really good, and I changed my mind. Let me guess. <laughs> you were in the picture. You were in a contest. I thought you should have won. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I I was going. I have it actually written down. I have Klaus written down because I made my list before I watched Klaus. So Klaus was actually should be on my list, which would have bumped uh, for your consideration off the list. But yes, I loved Klaus as well. We thought that we same thing. We we were like, this is such a good Christmas movie, uh, and it was really funny. Uh, That's great. My number three, and this was actually one of the first movies I watched in 2020, was Good Morning. Uh, oh, my, that's a great movie. Yeah, from 1959. This is a, uh, I believe it's a Korean film, right? Or is it Japanese? Uh, I, I think I'll have to double check Japanese. on here. But who's uh, the director? Uh, Yasujiro Ozu. I think that's Japanese. That's Japanese, yeah. Yeah. And uh, what the plot keywords on here are: flatulence, urination, Kamido Station, school teacher. I don't know what the heck that's about, but uh, the movie is about two boys. Farts who, are definitely part of the plot. Oh, yes. This is uh, two boys begin a silent strike to press their parents into buying them a television set. And uh, the movie is so much more than that, but it is so cool to see because it's an older movie, an older foreign movie. So you're actually getting to watch this sort of like. You know, that's that's how we were as kids of like, oh, you know, my best friend had th- like Brian had this. Can we buy this, too? But to see that sort of uh, mentality in the in the 1950s, but not only that, but in 1950s Japan of like them all living their next door neighbors literally live next door to them and they've all got the sliding doors and and the fact that the, the community just felt a lot closer. So the gossip spread a lot faster uh, reminded me again of a very small town like how we grew up in. And uh, I love this movie. I thought it was great. Yeah, it's really funny. It's a, and uh, I love the little boy is just so cute. Oh my goodness. Oh yeah. So the fun. little, <laughs> it's adorable. Uh, okay, That's, cool. I've seen a few Ozu movies. He's somebody that like is kind of revered for like Tokyo story, but uh, oh, that's I think right. yeah, this he did is that. my favorite. This late my spring, favorite. early Floating summer, weeds. late autumn. But weeds, yeah. Good Morning is definitely my favorite. Yeah. That I've uh, seen. All right. What do you got for number two? Uh, well, actually, before I just want to note here that Klaus lost to Toy Story 4, which is an abomination. Took Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> My number two. I'm going to say is I, Daniel Blake. You ever heard of this movie? I've heard of it, but I've not seen it. No, it's from 2016. Here's your quick description. After having a, after having suffered a heart attack, a 59 year old carpenter must fight the bureaucratic forces of the system in order to receive employment support allowance. So it's about this guy in um, England who like says he has a heart attack and he's just, the whole movie is basically about him trying to get his benefits so that he can survive. And the bureaucracy is just really stifling it. Like it sounds comedic describing it. Like, it, like, uh, you know, like it would be funny of him trying getting bounced around. But it's really not because um, he's just this old guy that, you know, he wants to work, but he, he 
shouldn't. He's like a manual laborer. He's not particularly intelligent. He's not good with like internet. He doesn't have a computer. So he's just like going through all this rigmarole trying to get his benefits. And they're like, oh, you got to submit this and this and this. He's like, I don't have a computer. So he's got to figure out how to do that. He's got to enlist the help of random people to try to get things to happen. And then by the time it does happen, something else gets in his way. And it's just, it's really heartbreaking. And by the end of it, um, it just makes you very, very at the system that's in place, yeah. which is obviously the intent of the movie. But he's like this really, he's like a, not really a heroic figure. He's just like an ordinary joke, but he's, he's very much fighting a righteous fight, just trying to get these benefits. And he's just mad at the system because the system is so obnoxious for him. Yeah. Those are those quiet desperation type of movies. Yeah. Highly recommend it. It's probably on Netflix still. I don't know. I, I, I was just but, Googling it and the, the poster cover looks very familiar. So it's on, I think it's on something, whether it's Netflix or Amazon. I feel like I've seen it before on. Yeah. Netflix it's a very, uh, it's like a really small contained movie. And I love those where it's just, mm-hmm. you know, there's not a whole lot going on. It's just about this one man and his struggle, but really, really moving. Yeah. Nice. Uh, my number two is, and and this may be surprising to some, I think I mentioned it earlier, but Princess and the Frog. Uh, I had not seen this movie before. And uh, again, I, I could have sworn I've mentioned, I feel like I did something about this, whether this was on a, a random podcast or something, but about like, this was one of those movies where at the time that it came out, I just had no desire to watch Disney movies. I was very like, you know, oh, this movie's probably for kids. But now, even older, I watched it and I was like, why didn't I watch this movie when it came out? Like, I lo- this one quickly became one of my favorite print- Disney princess movies because I just love the messages behind it. I love the cast. I love Tiana to begin with because she's the she's the kind of princess that doesn't need help from others. Like, I loved the whole message of her dad saying like you can do whatever you want. Like you can make your dreams come true, but you have to work for it, which was something that you didn't really hear from a lot of the other princesses because a lot of them were white and they were already living in a castle and they had had everything given to them. So it was really great to see that. And I had, again, I had no idea. She's not, she's not even a princess. That's the whole, all the other princesses. That's the point is they got their lives made for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, yeah, I loved this movie and I was kicking myself for not seeing it sooner, but I'm glad that I did. And, and uh, funny enough, I think I saw it on, I think we saw it on Netflix because it was still on there, even though we had had Disney plus. And I was yeah. like, well, it's on Disney plus, but, uh, but we, yeah, we watched it on Netflix. I actually, I think I watched that one this year too. Cause I picked that up at half price when we were down in Texas. That's back right. In July, I think. But yeah, that is yeah, good. great message. All right, what yeah, my, uh, my number one we already did was House of Jack built. So that's right. Okay, well, you, I certainly am not trying to compare this movie to that movie in terms of greatness. Obviously, these movies have all varying degrees of of excitement. But the reason that this movie is my number one movie is because this was actually a movie that I used to hate. Uh, and uh, the reason that it's on here is because I finally watched the ultimate cut of this movie. So those of you astute fans out there, you know what I'm talking about. Batman V Superman, Dawn of justice, uh, the ultimate cut. I will, I have to preface that because I did not like Superman, Batman V Superman, Dawn of justice. Uh, that movie came out in 2016. Uh, I think we both went and saw that movie in theaters together and I just did not like it. It was, uh, it was bad in a lot of regards. I you know, there were so many things in it that I was like, 
I really wanted to like it because I love Zack Snyder. I love Henry Cavill as Superman. I absolutely adore Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman. And it was great to see them all there, but it just didn't click with me. It was very, it felt very rushed. It felt very annoying at times. I don't even remember a lot of the feelings I had, but, but uh, probably a month or so ago, I watched BVS, the ultimate cut, which is three hours long. And after watching it, I was like, as I was watching it, I was like, kind of wondering like had i seen the ultimate cut before because i i thought maybe i had but as i'm watching i'm like no i haven't seen it and wow is this movie good and the the things that they added in and really helped expand the movie really helped give depth to the story and i i mean i was literally watching it going why did i not like this movie before because i there were certain scenes that i was like yep this definitely is an extended scene or this is a new scene but for most of it i was like feel like i'd seen it before so i was it just the fact that i was able to bump this movie up from a like a five to an eight i was like i gotta put this in here because i'd never seen the ultimate cut before and so i would really recommend people especially if you're somebody who has only seen the original version to check this out and it's on hbo max because it it redeems the movie in my eyes and it actually makes it now one of my favorite dc movies because of all of that like it it just was really impressive that's uh, that's really something. I I don't remember what. Let me see what I gave that movie. I feel like I probably gave it like a six or seven. Mm-hmm. Just seeing the. Uh... I think you liked it better than I did, and I think we, that was one of those you know LOL moments because it was like, of course you would like this movie more than I would like it because it's the one that you know everyone else doesn't like it. But well, it's I mean it's just I think different level of expectation. You probably were expecting something really good, and I am over I'm, i don't do that with i'm done for, i'm done yeah <laughs> so it's like yeah this is this is pretty good that's uh yeah that's kind of a good segue as we're getting into the final thing on our list here. yes and i will say this we can we can call this final segment either the worst movies of 2020 that we saw or you could say this was uh the biggest disappointments of 2020 again a movie maybe you thought was really good or you were hoping it would be really good and ended up being really bad because obviously, yes, I think you're going to mention something that I will have to agree with, unfortunately, uh, on one of these films. But um, I've got one movie in mind to share for this, and I think maybe you've got one or two. So let's start. So this is the um, this is the uh, our our biggest disappointments, least favorite movies of 2020. Do you want me to go first? Yeah, go for it. And I, I did one that was a movie I. Had- seen for the first time we're going to talk about that after i'm um, sure yeah i mean wh- whichever how many do you have for this a couple i just have one for each okay yeah one go for it. Movie. so as far as movies from 2020 oh yeah might yeah, have yeah, only yeah, seen okay. like 30 or so mm-hmm. and you know the lowest ratings i have for the year fives so there's not that many but i'm giving my worst of the year title to wonder woman 84 um not necessarily the worst made movie in the list like it there's maybe some value there that might be better than some of the other movies down at the bottom of my list but this movie was i would say like you were just saying a big disappointment a big letdown because i like the first one a lot mm-hmm. i like gal Gadot. i was excited sort of to see this one and it, the whole fact that like hey it's releasing on hbo that's really cool uh, but there's a lot going on here that I did not appreciate at all. The first thing I want to talk about is the fact that they said it in the eighties. 
I feel like when a movie does that, where they take, I mean, it's, it's almost like, you know, I was talking about this, the idea that I want to see something new. And it seems like, I don't know if it's a superhero movie thing, but every now and then they'll just take the movie and be like, okay, well we can make it unique by setting it in a certain time period. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not just superhero movies. There's just a lot where they decide to set it in the seventies or eighties. And that's like the thing they did this with. Um, I'm thinking in my mind right now, I'm thinking about Bumblebee or that oh, was like right. the whole premise yeah. there. I just, I feel like when, movies do that it's very lazy it's like really is yes it's like oh we're just gonna this is how we're gonna spruce the movie up because now we just get to you know access this repository of music or use this kind of fashion and do different bits um so that i think was a distraction that i mean i didn't hate that it was set in the 80s i didn't love it either it was just like okay you're doing this all right Mm -hmm. but um more importantly I uh, am going to talk about what I refer to now as the superhero movies curse. And let's see if this draws some ire from you. And I think you'll agree though. Uh, <laughs> the problem with superhero oh, movies yeah, lately okay. has been that the stakes just keep getting higher. Mm. And every superhero movie at this point, they have to raise the threat level to 11, right? It has to be an Avengers level threat, right? I remember thinking about Wonder Woman, the first one, the climax of that movie was what her fighting areas in the middle of nowhere right just like this one-on-one battle yeah i could be wrong but yeah yeah this one man this one was like the whole world is unraveling everyone in on earth is about to <laughs> explode there's nukes every five feet i don't it was like what the is nukes going launched on? they launched right. yeah and like the whole thing is like this monkey's paw making a wish but the one guy says mm, i wish i was the monkey's paw no. And suddenly the entire world is making wishes and it's like, oh, okay. So suddenly this went from, I don't even know what the movie was, but now it's like a, this insane threat. And it just was like, please stop. Like every, I get in a movie like Endgame, you got to do something like that. Cause it's the big culmination. Yeah, but, but not the sequel, <laughs> not the sequel of a movie that I, I and I, I totally agree with you. I mean, it's I, just like, I appreciated this movie more than you did. Yeah. But like it, uh, I I was also hugely disappointed by this movie. Now this isn't my most disappointing movie of 2020, but I, you guys heard my review and I, I, uh, I was not uh, generous at all to this movie. I did give it a seven because I overall, I, I love wonder woman and I love Gal Gadot. And so like, there were some bits of it where I'm like, okay, I, I would, I watched the movie twice and I would watch it a third time but it would be watching it to make fun of it and have fun with it. So to me though, that's not a superhero movie. That's not what you want from your superhero movie. And it's so sad because this movie had so much leading up to it. I mean, I, on a side note, I had pre-ordered a specific set of like six comics uh, way back when that were all variant covers for wonder woman, 1984. Some of my favorite artists were drawing wonder woman. And I'm like, this is awesome. Like I bought the poster. You've seen it. I've got it in my basement. Like the, the marketing material for it, the, the idea that it was going to be in the eighties had me excited when it started and before it came out. And then when it came out, I was just like, and I was, I was trying so hard as we were watching it. And Lisa was just like, this is not that good. And I'm like, just let's just wait and see, please, like, please redeem yourself. And there were some good parts of the movie, but 
it just overall was a disappointment. I agree. And, and there was a lot of laziness in that regard. A lot of that world ending that didn't need to be there. Like I saw someone who was saying like, you know, the, the DC universe has so many great heroes and I'm not trying to advocate that they need to copy Marvel, but like for this level of an event and for a sequel movie, why wouldn't you bring in another DC hero to help her? Like, why wouldn't you introduce some new character that we've never seen on film before in their in the backlog? Because, you know, they've got hundreds of heroes that they could have picked from. And, but they didn't. It was like, oh, let's just keep this a Wonder Woman movie. But yeah, I'm again, listen to my episode if you want to hear my full thoughts on it. But I, I do agree with you, unfortunately. I think it's interesting that what you're thinking of as a solution would be to add more. Well, no, I'm, saying, I'm saying if if they're choosing to make that their plot, do that. My right, first which suggestion I'm saying, would be let's to not do them. that. Yeah, my yeah. first suggestion would be don't make it a world-ending thing. Like you could have easily just made it a. I mean, it, we, we're not even getting into the the idea that you know she slept with a guy that had no idea he was sleeping with her because you know he was being embodied by this. You know, yeah, that was that kind of confused the hell out of me. There's I a lot like, of questions in that movie, but. but uh, yeah, I I feel like, and I don't know, the studios obviously aren't going to listen to me, but you know they're they're in the business of making these big blockbusters. So I I presume there's a lot of people that like you, Alex. I know you like the big fights in these movies. Yeah, I don't care about that personally. I just feel like you could make a much more engaging movie with a much smaller threat. You know, that's more personal, more yeah. emotional. Whereas here, it's just like, okay, the entire world's got is falling apart so we have to do this yeah there's no other reason other than what are you gonna do what are you gonna do next <laughs> like what yeah and why in justice league did wonder woman never say like wow this world ending threat is a lot like the one that i did in the 80s like she never mentioned this but this was a really big thing so yeah and I like to, totally to be fair i think marvel does that too where the threats are really big but they also are co- contained in a sense where and i'll i'm you're you might be surprised here. I'm giving Marvel credit. So I'm sure, guys, listen up, perk up, Stevie. But let's hear it. The fact that they can refer to certain events as like, oh, what happened in New York, or what happened in Wachovia Bank, whatever that <laughs> city was. Or the fact that they, can, okay, this big conflict happened here. The threat was to that city, right? Right. It's like, okay, it's not the end of the world. Whereas here, how would you refer it? Well, what happened in 1984, you know, when all the nukes went off at once. And, and off at once, and every world. single person in the world made a questionable wish that... Uh... Oh, but like the same thing with Thanos, too. I mean, Thanos, it made sense because it was like, okay, this is the be-all, end-all of the Avengers. I'm still, you know, fingers crossed they don't make any more movies. But... Okay. <laughs> like that, it makes sense to culminate with this insane avengers level threat but you get the build-up over it over another movie building up the fact that like okay he's planning like it's the same thing you could say okay thanos is is planning to wipe out half the universe like okay come on like they're gonna stop it but then they don't and he snaps his finger and we get a whole nother movie that like we get two hours of a movie dealing with that fallout whereas in this movie it's like 
oh, this thing happens that's all over the world and it gets wrapped up in a nice It also gets reversed in about five minutes. Exactly. Left. So like that's not how you deal with a world ending event. Like there has to be consequences like what happens in the Avengers. There's so many consequences that come out of those movies that now they have to deal with in all their other movies. That That's an exciting concept versus this being like, oh, okay. You know, we, we, we've wrapped that up in a nice, neat little bow. And uh, I mean, even in this in, in Endgame, like everyone comes back, but they don't come back to, you know, OK, right before the snap, like they've been gone for five years and they have to deal with the world now being five years ahead of them. That's a really cool concept. And I love that looking they- to it like um, I think Civil War and you can correct me on this, but I remember liking that movie. And I think yeah. part of that is like the conflict there wasn't this big extinction event. It was conflicts between the avengers about how to handle things going forward and it was based on consequences from i mean wasn't the end of it was like them fighting each other i don't remember if there was like a big like that's cool give me something where we actually feel some level of like emotional engagement and some like intimate threat rather than okay there's nukes everywhere (laughs) yeah exactly i don't know it just seems so extreme and the other thing what it was like two and a half hours you talked about how tenants oh my buy God, this movie. I know. It was I know. I was checking my watch. They should have. They should have. It could have. Honestly, it it may have actually been a better movie had it only been two hours long or an hour and you know fifty minutes long. But there was a lot in there that yeah. There's just a lot. Um, but yeah, like I said, uh, you know, there's a whole. I have a whole episode if you haven't listened to it too, where I actually take some hard looks at that movie and I I, I level a lot of criticism against it. Uh, as much as I still sort of enjoyed it. But my uh, my biggest disappointment for 2020 was Artemis Fowl. And uh, this movie was an art most foul. And I think I mentioned <laughs> that in the episode that I talked about it on, I think I briefly a murder mentioned most foul. <laughs> a murder most foul. Uh, there was nothing right about this movie. I think the only thing, and I gave it a four, the, uh, the only thing that I liked about this movie was Colin Farrell. And that's because like, how, how can you not like Colin Farrell? But right. I'll, I'll tell you this much. I watched it. I was looking forward to it. And I had, I was one of those Artemis, you could call me, I don't know what you would want to call Artemis me. apologists. And no, am I like a, a fowler? I, I don't know what you would want to call. I'm, I'm a foul bird. I'm, I'm a, I, I'm one of the guys that I loved all the books. And when I heard about this movie, literally years ago, I had it on my watch list on IMDb. It was it was still showing as being in development. This was probably that was back when we started making jokes about how Artemis is going to kill God. No, this was even before that. And then we got into the Artemis killing God. And that was I mean, that even built it up more because I was like, yeah, that was a really that's funny the bit. world ending event that I'm looking for is Artemis trying to kill God. And uh, because he's so smart. And in this movie, everything about it was a disappointment to the point that I don't remember a lot about this movie because I purposely pushed it from my mind. I just remember the acting was terrible. Uh, Artemis himself was terrible. Uh, His bodyguard was terrible. The elves were terrible. Uh, Mulch Diggums, who was one of my favorite characters from the book because his whole thing was that he would unhinge his jaw to uh, dig. He would eat dirt and it would come out as butt flap, which in the books and as a younger kid was hilarious, but all at the same time was kind of a cool concept of like, man, I'd dig to the center of the earth if I could. But when you've got Josh Gad playing Mulch Diggums and he is really hamming up the unhinging his jaw and and flipping open his butt flap and, and oh my God, it just... 
Yeah. Wait, he really did that in the movie? Oh, yeah. And I guess uh, give them credit for that. I mean, yeah, they I'll say this much. Some of some of it they definitely took from the book. From what I remember, though, a lot of it was changed. And so Kenneth Branagh actually was the one who directed it. And that was me getting even more excited for that movie of like, yes, I loved him, loved him directing Thor, loved him in Harry Potter, and he did Death on the Nile. Not he well, he's doing Death on the Nile, but he did uh, Murder on the Orient Express great great uh, classical director for like shakespearean type stuff so like what happened i mean i'm sure disney was like hey ken like i know you know we we relied on you a lot for thor could you please come in and do your best on this movie and he was like looking at the script going well crap i'll try but i can't promise anything um so yeah that was a, a, a huge disappointment um uh, so now as we as we wrap up, I, I think we were talking about this earlier. I think we actually both have the same worst movie of 2020, which same vein was a movie where after watching it, I did my best to forget about it. So I will let you talk most about it. But I think we both have Gamer as our least yeah. favorite movie. Yeah, I've well, got this, this listed as least a favorite movie watched this year. Least mo- favorite movie watched this year. Gamer is a and it's sad because Gamer has kind of been are uh, and it's funny that it's not even gamer where it happens but Ger- gerard butler has kind of become the mascot of our our squad of hey someone says hey i'm getting on xbox and someone else posts a gif of we gotta move of uh uh gerard butler but again that's not even from gamer but we were like Let's den of thieves. that is den of thieves uh but then we were like we've got to see gamer because if it's it's gerard butler it's about gaming this is our movie. This is our <laughs> anthem. This is the movie yeah. for us. And uh, like I said, all I remember is being like, well, this is one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life. Really bad. It, I was shocked trying to figure out what year it came out because somebody said 2013. And I was like, there's no way on God's green earth this movie was made in 2013. And I looked and it was 2009. And it's not much better because it feels like it was made in like 96 or something. It just there's a certain quality to it that nothing feels thought out. Nothing feels real. It's just, I don't know. It's impossible to describe. Isn't there a, there's like a dancing scene where. Yeah. With freaking Michael C. Hall. Uh, that is the only thing I actually remember from the movie is him being in his lair or whatever, dancing around. And I was like, you Dexter, just, right. What oh, was the yeah. song? I don't even remember. I don't I've, I was going to say Smells Like Teen Spirit, but I'm confusing that with um, Pan, <laughs> which is the movie that came. And one of your other least favorite movies, right? God, Pan is a Pan is a one because I, yeah, I can, I can hardly a lot describe A lot of darkness around this movie. I mean, honestly, I feel like we've talked too much about this movie already. I think giving it too much. It, deser- it does not deserve our time. No, yeah, no, not at all. So, <laughs> but with that, with that said, I think we are at uh, the perfect stopping point because we have finished. Ta- I sound like Perd Happily. Uh, we've finished talking about what we were talking about. So, uh, Stevie, thank you so much for uh, for joining me on this. I know sure. we went through a lot of movies. Twenty twenty was a a rough year, but these were a lot of great films again not the ones we just talked about but the ones we've been talking about it was it was a pretty i would say a pretty good year for film despite everything that happened uh there were still some good ones that made it out but Mm -hmm. uh, i'm really excited that so many studios my whole thing was when the pandemic started and marvel 
uh, push Black Widow back to November, the first thing that popped in my head was, again, this was for Marvel, but I thought for everything, like it makes so much sense if the movie industry just said, all right, we're taking a one year pause. Every single movie gets pushed back exactly one year from its release date. And then that's it. And Marvel, Marvel did that with their movies. Not a lot of other people did with theirs. Some of them did, but I just, it was, uh, it was a time where it was like, man, I wish I could have seen more movies, but I liked that at least all the studios pushed their movies back about a year and said, you know, we'll, we'll try and tackle this next year. So in that vein, I'm really excited for 2021. Yeah. I'm excited to see some of these movies that we've been waiting on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kong, we got Kong versus guy, you know, maybe I'll throw in just a, yeah, we don't have to talk about that right now, but Kong versus Godzilla. I'm really looking forward to obviously the Marvel movies. Um, but yeah, Hey, and we, we've gotten to a point now where you don't have to worry about watching any more Marvel movies. How excited is exciting is that? Mm-hmm. I don't think it was a nice, nice to have a break this year. Yeah. You know, honestly, it really was. And I think uh, you may not agree with this, but I think that was just the break that we needed to kind of revitalize our passions for the Marvel Cinematic Universe, because now I am just I'm jonesing for the next the next hit, as you could say, uh, <laughs> just shoot it <laughs> right in my veins, recognize that, uh, which yeah. is uh, next week. Actually, funny enough, this week they just came out with a show on Disney Plus called Marvel Legends, which is essentially a uh your ultimate nightmare it is the each episode and they only released one for uh scarlet witch and one for vision because next week the first two episodes of wandavision come out on disney plus the first marvel tv show by marvel studios and so they've got this marvel Legends show each episode is about seven minutes long and is literally just a recap of them playing specific scenes from all of the Marvel movies to kind of catch you up with where they're at, which for people who maybe are, you know, have forgotten what's been going on. I liked it. I actually got chills watching the Scarlet Witch one. And I was like, why is this even happening? Like I've seen these movies a hundred times, but uh, again, the ultimate nightmare for you that you would have to see another show to prepare yourself for the actual show. Uh, But again, exciting time to be alive. I'm sure you don't want to hear this, but there will be a Marvel show coming out, a Marvel property coming out every friday for the whole rest of the year uh is very exciting hundreds of episodes we're looking forward to along with star wars there's a lot coming out for star wars and some great disney content along again with a lot of great independent movies that are going to be coming as well i can't wait to see nomad land and uh, who knows maybe i'll get to convince you to watch eternals in november just because chloe jaws doing uh doing that movie as well but any any Uh final thoughts stevie before we wrap this up um movies are good and they're here stays uh all i can say mm, i like that no awesome. i uh i'd love to see us back in theaters hopefully in the near future love to get back into so many things mm-hmm. but, yeah uh, i miss those we recliner it, seats we made it through a tough year we did keep, keep on chugging yeah we love we love movies that's the 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 kind of the mantra here at comics and cinema so uh for for me and for stevie thank you guys so much for listening uh you can catch me on twitter at a robots wink or on instagram at a robots wink stevie you got any shout outs for where people can find you um i search youtube for the raz king mm, yes yes there's a great move great one there for age of ultron that i think people would really like uh, I was so funny. I, I told Cam, I was like, Hey, do you want to call out, you know, where people can find you? I was like, I know you're, you're private on Twitter. And he goes, yeah, they'll find me. I'll, I'll find them. And I was <laughs> like, okay, all right. Living in the shadows, but, but yeah. So for comics and cinema, I'm your host, Alex Klein. Thank you so much for listening and can't wait to see you at the movies. Yeah.